MotoGP 2017, a season that has produced five different winners, four championship contenders from three different teams and two different nationalities, but we're still no nearer to knowing who will ultimately be the one. Let's look at the story so far on Bike Life. Let's go! Yes, welcome to episode 22 of Bike Live here on Motorsport 101 as we give our half-term report on MotoGP in 2017 as it heads into its summer break. We're halfway through it uh, at this stage. We're a couple of weeks away from the return at Bruno uh, at the beginning of August. So to fill that gap, we're going to look back on the season so far and what a season it's been in MotoGP, as unpredictable as ever. Just when we thought 2016 couldn't be topped, MotoGP goes and tops it. Uh, we'll look back on the five different winners, as we mentioned earlier on, the 10 different podium sitters, and the fatal four-way for the World Championship, which is building up nicely um, between Maverick Vinales, Marc Marquez, Valentino Rossi, and Andrea Davizioso. We will go rider by rider and look back uh, on the season so far and cast our judgment on the 23 regular riders who have entertained us so much so far uh, this season. Um, joining me once again uh, this week, it's a warm welcome to part-time podcaster and full-time Snapple spokesman, Andre Harrison. Welcome, Dre. I think you'll find I'm an ambassador for the brand at this point. <laughs> um, it, it is shameless the amount of money I've spent on special flavors of Snapple in recent weeks. Like, seriously, if I told you guys, you'd all wet yourselves and cry. I've dropped like 40 quid on two crates of Snapple the last two weeks. I'm embarrassing. I'm an embarrassing human. I do not, I do not know why you give me this platform to discuss this stuff. Like, I have a problem, okay? <laughs> yeah, Dre's like a walking, talking FAQ for Snapple uh, <laughs> at this stage. Um, yeah. So yeah, he's, he's, he gets regular ads on Twitter. People asking him about different flavors. It's incredible. It's um, amazing. It's yeah, who great. knew? Who knew it would have taken off? Um, don't you just love Twitter at times yes. like this? Um, before we tell you the places where you can find us, let's first of all tell you about the latest episode of Motorsport 101 that you may well have heard um, by this point. And um, at this point, Dre, I think we need to apologize to all the listeners who have "bird" is the word stuck in their head now. Yeah. Well, I, I had to do it while referencing the name of the episode itself. So now you guys all have to suffer. Sorry, that's the rules. Um, but yeah, like, so actually, to be fair, it was like, like as a note, it was King's idea. Uh, <laughs> King suggested the episode title. I rolled with it because I couldn't think of anything better. So um, you're all suffering now because Formula E was actually the main event. We actually had two pretty darn good races. Um, in New York, just don't tell King. Like Sam Bebel was the first person to ever win a Grand Prix in New York. He will find you and kill you um, if, if you tell him that. But so uh, two great races in Formula E with Sam Bird picking up a double and whatnot, and Lucas Degrassi really closing in as the title race heads to its final round in Montreal very, very soon. Obviously, some irrelevant British Grand Prix where Lewis Hamilton may or may not have won, um, apparently, um, was I try not to be too salty about Ferrari having not one, but two punches in the final five laps and me shouting all my vengeance towards Kimi Raikkonen. It, it, it doesn't happen, honestly. Like it, I, was, I wasn't upset about it at all, seriously. Um, and, of course, IndyCar in Toronto as Joseph Newgarden got the jammiest yellow flag of all time to, to win in Toronto. But my boy James Hinchcliffe was on the podium, so hooray for Canada and, uh, and all its fine servings of poutine. So all of that on episode 95 of Motorsport 101 where the bird was indeed the word. Yeah, you can find that on our our SoundCloud channel and on iTunes if you're already subscribed to us on there. You can also find it on our website, motorsport101.net. 
Um, elsewhere from that, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash motorsport101. We are on Twitter at motorsport underscore 101. Um, we are on Patreon if you like us so much that you want to back us financially. It's patreon.com forward slash motorsport101, where your support at the $5 level will earn you early access to Bike Live and to Motorsport 101. Uh, and rounding it off, you can find us on YouTube as well, where our Google Hangouts are found, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. So let's look back then on MotoGP so far in 2017 um, and our mid-season review, our half-term report, where we're going to cast our eye on each of the 23 regular riders. Um, and we'd love to say... Um, given this is episode 22, that that is the reason. We're starting with Sam Lowe's. Um, but unfortunately, we're going in reverse championship order, um, which is why Sam Lowe starts us off, unfortunately. <laughs> um, because of the regular riders, um, and um, that's why I'm excluding Takuya Suda, Mika Kallio, and Sylvan Gintoli, and indeed Michele Pirro from the list, even though Pirro was ahead of Lowe's in the championship. <laughs> um, with, his, with his ninth place at Mugello. Um Given that they've only raced in, I make it uh, six races between them, those four riders, it's kind of difficult to give them a mark out of 10 uh, yeah, for their much. season. So we're going to ignore them. Um, but a note for Sylvain Gintoli, who scored points on his return for Suzuki uh, on his home Grand Prix at Le Mans, and indeed for Piro, who scored a ninth place um, for Ducati um, at Mugello at their home Grand Prix earlier in the season. Uh, less so for Suda. He was only 17th. At Hareth, as he stepped in for Alex Rins, we'll come on to him very, very shortly. He's second up in our list of of riders that we're going to go through. But Lowe starts us off, Dre, and um, it's at this point that I would dearly wish Rebecca James was with us to give us the um, the hardcore fans' verdict on Sam Lowe's season so far. But um, keeping the inter-team politics to one side for just a moment, um, Sam Lowe's ultimate performance so far has it exceeded expectations, fallen short of them, or a just about where you expected him to be. Uh, this is tricky. It's tricky because on on by no matter which way you slice it, being bottom of the regular season runners so far is not a good look ever. There's no getting around that, um, especially given that there is a brand new team in front of them that have already surpassed Sam Lowe's. But I'm kind of in two minds about this because on one side, I do think Sam Lowe's has been below expectations. I thought Sam was going to be a little bit better than what, than what I've seen of him so far this season. Um, he had a very, very poor start to the year in terms of just overall speed. He was way off where he needed to be. Um, it doesn't help that he's got a very experienced teammate in Alicia Spagaro, I think has been very good this yeah, season. Who's beaten more experienced riders than Sam. Exactly. And, you know, we, we've known Alicia's the guy that, you know, if you build a team around him on a poor bike, he will get you good results if you give him the keys, basically. Um, as we proved in his Aspar days that, you know, Alicia is one of the best guys who will bring a bike up to a certain level. And um, that's probably the worst case scenario for a guy like Sam, who's a complete MotoGP rookie coming into a team where you've got one of the most experienced guys in the field at that sort of level right alongside him. And to be fair to Sam, I think he's been a lot faster looking in the last three or four rounds. I think he's looked a lot more comfortable out there, and I think he has genuinely improved as the season has gone on. It's a shame that the results aren't really there to show for it yet. Just the one points finish so far this season. Sadly, and that was at Le Mans when he finished in 14th. 
But it's I don't think it's entirely Sam's fault either. Again, as mentioned, we talked about the politics that can't be doing any good for Sam's confidence, knowing that they were already thinking about canning him halfway through the halfway through his rookie season, which which is even more sad when you consider they gave him this big commitment about, you know, getting a test role, testing the previous years by getting giving him a two year Moto GP contract to think, oh, are we gonna abandon the plan after nine races? That's that can't be nice, and I feel for Sam and I guess especially given that the bike is fundamentally flawed and has had multiple mechanical retirements throughout this season as well. That has plagued both their riders. So it's Sam's. I don't think he's been particularly great, but I think a lot of that is also down to the environment that he is in. So I kind of want to give him a pass for it at the same time as well. Yeah, I think, I, I I think I, Sam's. I, yeah. I think Sam's going to be on. Sorry to cut you, but I think Sam's going to be one of those guys who I think will have a much better idea about at the end of the season, mm. as opposed to right now. Yeah, I think context is important here because, as I say, the, the yes. result the results don't look particularly good. And, and you know, Sam Lowe's twenty fourth in the world championship, um, but you know, the, the bike he's had, he was almost set up to be that far down in the championship from the start. He's on an inferior package to even his teammate, um, Alicia Spargro, who. You know, he's the rider, understandably to a point, given that he's so experienced and he did such a good job bringing the Suzuki on um, in his yes. time with the team. And um, that you know, if you want to give the newer parts to a rider, you give them to the experienced hand, the guy who course, you, you know will give you perhaps the better feedback on it. Um, but at the same time, if you've got a rider on inferior equipment, you have to understand that they're going to produce inferior results um, to Alicia Spargro. Um, now, Sam Lowe's has to his credit, not being the crasher that we came to know in Moto2. He has had Definitely crashes, but, but he hasn't crashed to the extent that he did in, in his Moto2 years um, at all. He's, he's, I think at the start of the season, perhaps he was perhaps guilty of starting a little too slowly and that he was so... It was almost he drilled the message into his head that he had to stay on the bike and not crash it. They almost perhaps didn't quite push it to the ultimate limit. Confidence. To, mm. Yeah, the yeah. confidence just didn't build because he saw himself at the bottom of the timesheet um, down there with KTMs and, and Tito Rabat and such like, um, which wasn't really any good for his confidence. Um, but as you say, he has improved as the season's gone on. And I think the standout performance for Sam Lowe so far, and we're going to probably try and pick one out for every rider that we as we go through here, um, I'd say Sam Lowe's stand-up performance wasn't even that 14th place that he had at Le Mans. It was Saturday at Aston, um, yes. where where the pressure built on him by his own team, it has to be said, was probably at its height. Um, yeah. There were so many questions about his, his, his position in the team. BT Sport were almost vitriolic in their criticism of Aprilia um, <laughs> uh, at that point in the season. Because, of course, the race before in Barcelona, he hadn't even made it out in Q1 until about seven minutes into the session because his bike wouldn't start and his spare bike wasn't ready to go. Um, mm -hmm. So Sam had no shot in that qualifying session to really get himself up the grid. Um, but Sam getting himself into Q2 at Assen at the expense of his teammate, it has to be said, on the mm -hmm. stronger bike, Alessio Spargo, and then qualified 10th on the grid despite the fact that his Aprilia engine blew up um, on Saturday yeah. afternoon. And a crash in the race meant that he couldn't translate that into any sort of points. But as you say, there is no question that the progression is there. It's just that will that progression come quickly enough to save his career? He's hoping. Um, I wouldn't want to see it Sam. Looks, it almost looks yeah. at the moment as if Aprilia are almost running out of options that they're going to have to keep Sam anyway. Petrucci's staying at Pramac. Um, and there aren't many other options out there. Bautista staying at Aspar. Yeah, I was, I was so, about to mention that. Yeah, so, Bautista so, so, sticking so who around. Else, who is the alternative to Sam? Like, like I, I read, 
I read David. I read David Emmett's um, latest city season update on MotorMatters.com a couple of days ago, and it seemed like again, it seems like Aprilia haven't got very many options anyway. Mm. It could be maybe somebody out of the Avintia camp. More on them later. It, like Scott Redding apparently had a casual chat with Aprilia, nothing more. Um, but maybe even if Ian only activates his release clause at the end of this season, it, maybe that could be a factor as well. But Again, I think you're right. I think that a pretty has pretty much made their bed with Sam Lowe's and have to lie in it now. Um, clearly, they saw something in his talent to be giving him a, 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 the contract that they gave him, which is a big freaking contract. You don't normally see a three-year deal for a MotoGP rider these days. Um, normally, it's two years at a time, but they gave Sam that you know that, that test role at pretty and then the two-year extension. And I think you're right. I mean, the talent is there, and... Something about the Lowe's brothers in the wet where they had to have this extra level of confidence in them. And it, it was nice to see Sam stick it to the man at Aston that weekend, at least certainly in the qualifying on Saturday to show that, yeah, he has got Tanaway. Even his team boss was like, yeah, well, this is why we signed him and having to eat a very large slice of humble pie after out qualifying his teammate and qualifying in the top 10. It showed that Sam's got, he's got something here too. I just wish we saw it a little bit more often. Otherwise, a prettier will have good reason to let him go. But as I said, I think I think we'll get a much better read on Sam at the end of the season because I think he is getting better and I think he is getting more comfortable by the race, like any rookie probably should. Hmm. I mean, I remember Bradley Smith's debut season in MotoGP in 2013 when he was at Tech 3 and his teammate was Cal Crutchlow um, before Cal moved to Tech 3. And I, I remember that season quite well where Cal pretty much blew Bradley's wheels off that season. Yeah. Um, but in, in that sense, he was kind of expected to because of who Cal Crutchlow was and you know, Bradley was in his rookie season. And yet Bradley got criticism um, because of how far behind Cal he was. Um, mm-hmm. But And also because of the fact that there was another rookie that, that year who went on and won the title in Mark Marquez. Um, didn't help. Which didn't help. Um, but he had a team, and we, um, we paid tribute to the Ponch last week. He had a team boss in Hervé Poncheral who was prepared to stick with him and was prepared to support him and make him feel valued and feel wanted, which Sam Lowe's doesn't appear to have. Um, certainly, it's not no. to the same extent, anyway, um, at Aprilia. Um, now, in terms of evaluating his season so far, I, I struggle to value Sam Lowe's season. Whatever's gone off off the track, I struggle to give him more than a, a six at this stage. And I think a six is being perhaps slightly generous. I mean, leading more I, towards I think, a five. I, I think you've been nice. I think you've been nice there. I think I'm going to go five on this one. I think irrespective of what's happened off the track, it's not like Sam's blown their doors off. Because if Sam if Sam had had a leash's season so far, we'd be having a lot more things to say about Aprilia as a unit at this point. Mm. With Sam, it doesn't feel quite so justified because it's not like Sam's blowing the doors off this thing right now. Sam's been poor... And the team's been bad. Um, I think the team being bad, I think, has saved him for me giving him a lower score than five because this is me taking into account the fact that Aprilia has been pretty woeful in how they've handled this. Um, so how, how, certainly how they've handled Sam Lowe's season. I, mean, they, I think they've definitely been unprofessional how they've gone about it. It says a lot when even your teammate is criticising his own employer for how the situation's been handled. So, but um, despite that, it's not like Sam has had anything other than real rare flashes of brilliance so far at this level. But as I said, I think by the time we get to the end of the season, I think it'll be a bit better. But for now, I think from what I've seen so far, I think five is about right. Yeah, I think we're agreed on a five there, um, which um, when you add in Bex's uh, inevitable 10, 
Um, that, yeah, average, yeah, that average yeah. is out at around a seven. Um, but no, I think, yeah, we're agreed, yeah. I, think we're, I think we're agreed on a five here for, for, for Sam yeah. Lowe so far. Um, as I say, we're going to skip McKinley Pirro, who's 23rd in the championship. He's only had one race um, to look at. Um, on to another rider who we, we're, we're going to mention him. But again, I think Alex Rins' season is a little bit hard to evaluate, Dre, given that he's only mm. started four races um, yeah. out of the nine so far um, and scored points in one of them, his debut, ninth on, in Qatar. Um this is a guy who just cannot, and I don't mean this ironically, given that he's broken plenty of bones over the time over his years, but he can't catch a break at the moment uh, in MotoGP. You kind of get the feeling that Alex Rins' MotoGP career still hasn't really got going yet. Well played there, Sonny. That's, 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 that's great use of punnage there. Um, yeah, I, 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 although I can't disagree with you, I mean... I'm going to skip to the chase here. I'm going to give Alex Rins an NA score for this for the season so far because I can't give him a fair rating. And that's not through Rins' fault at all. He's been incredibly unlucky. Um, somewhere, Rebecca James is shaking her fist right now, going motocross injuries yet again, etc. Um, because, I mean, Alex has missed half the season so far with that injury, and he's not been... The same guy since. I mean, 17th last and a lap down um, in, in that race. A very rare to be. I know, I know he was on he was on the bad side of a bad strategy call, but being lapped in a MotoGP race is not common, and that's not a good look. Yeah. 20, 21st in Germany. I'm pretty sure he was the last rider home of those that did yeah, it too. Yeah, pretty, pretty sure he was last over the line at the Saxon ring. And it's a shame because this his very first race in Qatar, top 10 result, and I think that was a fantastic result for his first ever MotoGP race. Inside the top 10 was superb, and it was like, oh yeah, Rins is good too. Oh, what a surprise. Um, but it's we've not had anything to go on with that since then. I mean, Argentina, he he made a rookie mistake, as you do, crashed it, and then nothing really since then. So it's it's hard to even get a read on Rins's season, and this season might already be a write-off for Rins in terms of development. I think he's going to spend the rest of the season just learning. He's, he's, it's like he's now half a season behind everybody else in terms of learning the bike and like the most important thing you can get as a rookie, at least in my opinion, is track time. Get on the track, run laps, get used to the bike, see where it's strong, learn to adapt, et cetera, et cetera. And Rins has been robbed of that chance due to a, a, a training injury, which has been severe. Because, I mean, I think a five-race injury is the most severe I've seen for some time in Murdo GP. Normally, it's three or four, but five is... Five is brutal. And, I just wonder know, with his with his history of injuries whether Suzuki were very very keen not to rush him back and bring him absolutely. back before he was fit. And this is a guy, who, as I say, over his recent career, just seems to have a habit of getting injured. He just seems to have riders who are more injury prone than others. Yeah. Um, and perhaps Alex Rins is just a rider who doesn't quite crash as well um, as some others. Yeah. He just seems absolutely. to just seems to hurt himself. He's he just seems to be one of those riders. And yeah, I agree with you. It's, I think it's impossible to even give him a score so far because his season just hasn't got going. Uh, four races that he's competed in, points in one of them. He didn't start um, the Grand Prix of the Americas, even though he did travel to that Grand Prix, he injured himself over the course of that weekend, and then didn't start the race. Um, so Rins, um, although he's 22nd in the championship, seven points, the seven he got at Qatar. Um, difficult to really give him a score, so we'll move on um, from Rins and hope that in the second half of the season we finally get to see what he's all about in MotoGP. I think he's a rider over the years through all through his lower classes, we've always thought he's a MotoGP rider in the making and a, and a very good one at that. Um, we just aren't yet, we just yet to see it, unfortunately, um, for Alex Rins. Um, on to the KTMs, who are 20 and 20th and 21st in the championship, and 21st 
uh, is Bradley Smith, um, who has, to his name, eight points, courtesy of four points finishes uh, from the nine races so far. None of them any better than a 13th. That came um, at Le Mans uh, earlier in the season. Um, Bradley, much like his teammate Paul, um, again, I guess a victim of the fact that his team are very much an embryonic team in MotoGP. They're just starting out in MotoGP. And I guess, in a sense, he's another difficult rider to score because the team are almost... They're not paying attention to points, are they? They're paying attention to development and the gap between their bike and the front. Exactly. It's This season is a developmental season. I know a lot of manufacturers don't want to hear those words, but for KTM, it's the reality. But the promising thing for KTM, is, at, least if, at least from where I'm sitting, is that they've made real, genuine progress from the start of the season to where they are now. Um, they were stone-dead last when we first got to Qatar, and now mid-season, they are now semi-regularly in the points. And... Mm-hmm. That's already a step forward. I mean, they had, they've had top 10 qualifying sessions as well. Mo- both of them have made Q2 uh, on at least one occasion. Um, so, yeah, like KT. Yeah, maybe at the one Paul had his, I think, as well at uh, the Saxon Ring. Mm. Um, so Paul's had a couple. But, like, you can, you can see the talent is going to get them somewhere. I mean, Paul Lesbagger and Bradley. I mean, Bradley, not so much. I don't think he's had a, a real marquee moment so far this season. But just his usual good level of consistency doesn't make very many mistakes, picks up with the points where he can get them. And there's always value in that. And I said before, like, especially when you're a brand new team, like the best ability you can have is your availability. And the more you're on track and the more data you'll pick up, the better the team will progress in the long run. And that's why they went after Pole and Bradley in the first place. Two guys that don't make very many mistakes. Two guys that were probably the two best independent riders in the field going through last season. Um, well, at least two of the three. Maybe, yeah, maybe over, well, they, over the last two seasons, yeah. Bradley was the top mm. independent rider in 2015 and Pole was second only to Crutchlow in the independent race last year. And you can argue Crutchlow wasn't really on an independent... He's an independent team, but not on an independent bike. He was on, effectively, a factory bike um, yeah. with, with LCR Honda. Um Brandy Smith, I, I'm, I've given him a six for this. I struggle to go much beyond that. He's he's not beaten Paul as it happens in a race this year when they've both finished, um, wow. which is Point. which is which is amazing. But um, in every race that they have both finished, Bradley's been one place behind him. Um, so they've, they, that pretty much tells you that the two are a closely matched and that the bike is pretty much at its limit. Um, with those yeah. two riders, um, Paul and Bradley were 16th and 17th in Qatar, 14th and 15th in Argentina, 12th and 13th at Le Mans when they both scored, and then 13th and 14th when they both scored at the Saxon Ring. Whenever they've both finished, they've basically finished nose to tail um, across the line. Um, but Bradley has always been the second of those riders. And and as you say, Dre, the, the big sort of standout wow moments for KTM tend to have come from Paul, which is why I've kind of limited Bradley at six. How would you see it? I agree. Again, I think six is about right. Um, like by any measure, Bradley's season has not been bad. In a vacuum, you could actually say it's been pretty good in terms of development and not making errors. But as you say, um, when they've when they've both come over the line, an zero and four record against your teammate is never going to go down too well. Um, as you say, it's not like he's getting blown out by Polder Spagaro. It's literally one position here, one position there. Um, so like their tech three days, they are very evenly matched. Um, and again, like you say, like they are get they are both getting the best out of the bike as as it comes to them. So 
yeah, it's a shame that Bradley's maybe lacking, you know, 5% of the upside that Paul Despagaro does this season so far. But right now, I don't think that even really matters all that much for KTM. So, yeah, I, I, I'm, in, I'm in agreement. I, I will go six on Bradley Smith. I think that's about right. Yeah, again, I think Bradley's another rider. Again, you could argue there are mitigating circumstances for him and that it's, it was around this time last year where he famously broke his femur um, in that uh, endurance world championship crash um, at Oschersleben in Germany. And, you know, it's, it's difficult to expect any rider to be the same after that. So whether he's still suffering any kind of discomfort from that, who knows? Of course, he missed the Grand Prix in Catalonia where he injured his little finger. Um, and was forced to miss that Grand Prix. Um, we saw images of it on BT Sport the weekend after, and it looked an absolute mess. Um, so he has had his own injury problems this season, which caused him to miss a race. But um, when Bradley Smith has started the Grand Prix, he has made the finish in all but one of them. Um, the one he didn't make the finish in was at Assen in the, in the wet conditions. Um, he's got a better finishing rate than Paul Espargaro, which I guess when you're a new team is perhaps just as important as the points you're scoring. Um, but in terms of Paul Espargaro, who's missed, who's crashed or failed to finish on three occasions this season, um, DNF'd in uh, Texas, Jerez when he did crash, um, and Mugello as well. Um, but as you say, Drake, he has had the big standout moments. Second row of the grid. Uh, at the Saxon mm. Ring, which is extraordinary for a brand new team at KTM. Outstanding. Um, and 14 points to Brandy's eight. And as I say, he's whenever the two have made the check of flag, Paul's been slightly ahead of him. So um, I don't think anyone can really say by any measure that Paul's not had a good season. He's been superb, hasn't he? Yeah, it's been excellent. There's there's no there's no getting around that. Um, he's led he's led the team. He's led the development. Um, and again, as you say, he's had the upside moments in the KTM team so far. He's he's dominating the highlight package, as you said, the second row qualifying effort in Saxon was absolutely spectacular. Um, again, he led, he led the KTMs when he when both of them made it into Q2 at Le Mans. Um, both were extremely fast where that's concerned. And as you say, like the best finish for a KTM so far goes to Paul Spagaro for his 11th place at Assen, um, where simply put, surviving was the order of the day. And that's what he did very, very well. And in those sort of races, if you survive, you will always probably punch a little bit above your weight because there will always be guys that chance it and drop. So, yeah, as you say, he's he's done a, he's done a terrific job so far. He's led the team um, and he's... He's the vocal point of KTM's development so far. And, you know, there's, there's obviously going to be more to come. And I'm sure he'll drag Bradley along with him. But right now, Paul has the edge. Mm, yeah, I've got I've gone seven for Paul purely because I don't think he's been... I mean, he's been better than Bradley, but not by enough to give him more than a seven. Um, but I, I don't, as I say, don't think for any means that he's had a, a, a poor season at all. I think he's been very, very good. But he has had, he has had more DNFs than Bradley. He's crashed on three occasions this season out of eight. And as a new team, I suppose, for KTM. That's the kind of the one thing they could do without um, is yes. the riders throwing it at the scenery, which Paul has done more of um, so far this season. But as I say, he has probably got the greater ultimate upside on terms of pace than Bradley. Whenever you look at time screens, he always tends to be a position or two higher up than Bradley Smith, who admittedly has a different way of going about his race weekends, particularly through free practice. He tends to build a little more than Paul, who perhaps maybe gets out of the gate a bit quicker. Um, but I think I think a seven's about right for Paul. Maybe perhaps seven and a half. What do you reckon? Um, yeah, I agree. Seven. I think seven's. I think seven's about right. 
You know what? 7.5 because the, Sax- the Saxon Ring top six qualifying effort, I think, is worthy of an extra half point because um, that was incredible. That is one of the big, I think, highlights of the entire season was seeing a KTM qualify that high up the field. So I think 7.5, I think, is is probably where I would go. As you say, he's not comprehensively beating Bradley Smith. And that's probably the only reason why I'm not going to go any higher because it is marginal. But that, like the four and zero finishing rate head to head over Bradley, is big. But yeah, I, I would have got eight. But it, but again, the finishing rate is poor. And I know DNFs in determined in terms of points are not as is not as damaging when you're lower down the board. So big points are going to be harder to come by anyway. But if you're KTM, you need your guys to finish. You need to collect as much information as you can. And Paul is not helping as much in that regard but hey results always count too so i'm going to say seven and a half for bonus bag yeah i think that's fair enough we're not grading the teams or the manufacturers we're only going for the riders here but ktm's first half season uh i I was difficult i was trying to think to myself at the start of the season what i would have expected from ktm and i think it was difficult given how strong the field is nowadays to have expected much more than they've actually produced would that be fair so given given the field they walked into and how strong most GPs GP is nowadays, I think it's difficult to have expected them to do, have done more than they actually have. Given they're a new team, yes. they're pretty much a level level par. Would you say? If I, I mean, for a new team, I know Suzuki did a great job coming in a couple of years ago and getting a pole position and obviously winning last year. But MotoGP was arguably a different time back then. And Suzuki and Aprilia have both had a couple of years to get themselves bedded in and get themselves developed. Mm-hmm. KTM are starting from scratch, and as I say, given what they've walked into, they're pretty much as they've done about as well as anyone could have reasonably expected them. Surely, yeah, I think I, I think they've I think they've definitely been above above where I would have put them, especially given their bike was unique with a Trellis Sassy, and the KTM have not got that much experience building top of the line, you know, prototype machinery. This this is new territory for them altogether. And Suzuki, the, the rate of progress as well has been has been very good. Yeah, very impressive, and like I said, Suzuki and are pretty sure um they've had a couple of years to bed in but so uh, they've had grand prix motorcycle experience and i mean they like apparently hadn't built prototypes going in but suzuki had done so in the past and suzuki i expected with that level of pedigree to make quick progress and they have and you know the, the level of rider quality has certainly been an, a helpful factor in that but ktm starting completely from scratch and, and already being regular point scorers is is, is great and, it will, and i'm sure it will only get better and, and given as you say this is the most competitive MotoGP season I can certainly ever remember. Um, the fact they're already in the mix for for you know top ten finishes and uh, you know scoring points like on a on a semi frequent basis is impressive stuff. Yeah, and I mean I remember looking at the start of the season, looking at the timesheets in Qatar on the only weekend, and thinking, wow, they're a long way behind. They were they were a good two and a half seconds off the pace. Um, in Qatar, but by the time we got to Europe and to Jerez, they were already troubling the top 10, um, and I think there are certain circuits where perhaps the times are a lot closer, that KTM were going to upset a few, we saw it already at the Saxon ring where they were up there, and um, their bike doesn't seem to be too shabby in a straight line either, which might suggest that at their home Grand Prix in Austria, they may well surprise a few there too, um, mm. be a little bit higher uh, than we perhaps normally expect to see them, so, so that'll be interesting to see, and yeah their rate of progress has been very, very good, and if that continues... Um, perhaps they'll be regular point scorers by the end of the season, and then you you set new targets, don't you? Next season they'll want to be regularly fighting the top ten um, with with Paul and Bradley who are staying on again next year. And given 
their progress, that may determine what kind of level of rider they could attract in 2019. Um, there's already suggestions that Miguel Oliveira, their Mother 2 rider, perhaps will be sniffing around a MotoGP ride by 2019. Certainly wouldn't surprise any of us if that's the case, um, no. if, he, if he's a Moto2 title contender next season. So that will be an interesting story to follow in the future if Oliveira is starting to put pressure on the regular MotoGP riders. But that's for next year. And at the moment, I think given their first half of the season and what they've walked into, they're about do they're doing about as well as anyone could have expected. Uh, on to the uh, first of a number of privateer and satellite Ducatis in the field. Um, and we would have probably expected this guy to be the lowest ranked of them uh, at the start of the season. But um, Carol Abraham Drake, who's 19th in the championship on 20 points, um, he was the rider who probably had the least expected of him at the start of the yes, season. Yes, um, definitely. Many, many rider or many, many uh, an onlooker were asking the question, what is Carol Abraham doing back on this grid? Um, but I think for every critic that's asked a question of him, he's probably answered it, hasn't he? Yeah, like we've we've joked about Carol Abraham being the the pay rider of MotoGP, the, or the most established pay rider at this point in the field, given his, his his previous track record in MotoGP. But I don't care what anyone says, and I don't care for the fact he's in nineteenth. I think he's been a lot more impressive than people give him credit for this season. And like for the first time, like Carol Abraham doesn't feel like an add-on in MotoGP. He feels like he actually belongs, and you know, two top ten finishes. But you got to remember, like at this point, teammate comparisons are a little bit unfair because Carol's on the GP15 while his teammate Bautista is on the 16. Um, so Carol's on a two-year-old bike right now, and he's had two top ten finishes. And had that had that exceptional Argent, Argentina qualifying where he put it on the front row of the grid, which you know might be the the moment of Carol Abraham's career to date. And yeah, like I said, I think overall, I think Carol has found himself. That seventh place at Aston was a fantastic result for him as well. I don't know if anyone follows him on his, on his Facebook page, but. Uh, you should have seen him when he parked up in 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 the, in the garage after that result. The whole team was was de absolutely delighted with him um, to finish that race in seventh place, which I think it actually might be his best ever MotoGP finish. I have to double check that and, and give it up. I think he had a, a fifth um, back in 2011 when we had a much smaller grid, um, but it's definitely um, but it's definitely because I remember him battling with Crutchlow in Valencia for a for a top end result he tied his career best he's had one two three set of a seventh place finishes both in 2011 he had one in, well, he had one in um in Jaref, one, in, one at silverstone he had a seventh place in the last round at valencia 2012 but yeah he matched his career I think, high. I, think, I think we'd probably agree that that seventh this season against this field is worth much more than the seventh he had yes uh, in 2011 albeit, albeit when he was a rookie in MotoGP, gp but um, he wasn't against the level of field. There were only, well, for a start, the only, yeah, the only competitive real bikes in the field were the Yamaha and the Honda up ahead of him. And um, he was battling Crutchlow on the Tech 3 Yamaha, who was his only competitor for rookie of the season. That was basically that battle in Valencia where they were battling for the top rookie spot uh, in the final round, which Crutchlow ultimately won. Um, but yeah, I think he's he's done a solid job so far. And as I say, as you say, he is, he's in a team that clearly likes him, who clearly value the job he does. And given the financial backing that he also brings with him, you'd expect him to stick around um, next season as well with that team. Um, and yeah, given that he's on a GP16, um, 20 points. He scored points in five of the nine races so far, including that seventh that you mentioned at Assen. Um, that's about as good as anyone could have expected, I think, from him uh, at this stage of the season. And I was I was initially going to write a six for Abraham, 
But I think the front row at Argentina bumped it up to a seven because he was the star of that race weekend. He was. I mean, we expected Marquez to win. He didn't. But I think the the one takeaway I got from that weekend more than anything was, oh, my God, Carol Abraham. Wow. That was and that front row. The, the way that weekend had panned out, that front row didn't really shock us, did it? No, because he was fast all weekend. It yeah. wasn't. A, it didn't feel like a fluke because he was up the upper end of the timesheets all weekend long in changeable conditions. Carol Abraham really shined out there. And um, you say seven, I say six and a half. I think I'm going to give an extra half point now. And I think seven is a little high. But um, overall, I can't disagree. That's it for the first time in MotoGP. Carol Abraham looks like he fits. And given that he's you know, he's given he's on a two-year-old bike in this field, five points finishes, including two top tens, is very impressive. Mm. Yeah, uh, two. Oh, so we're we're gonna go. He averages out as a six point seven five in the entry round. I'm, I'm gonna stick with seven. I did initially write six point five, and then crossed out and wrote seven. I thought I've got yeah. to give him an extra bit of a bit of due for that performance in Argentina, which was exceptional. Um, but he's by no means had uh, a, a poor season at all. He's been very very good. Two. One rider who, we said this before we started, it's very difficult to look at any rider and say they've been bad this year or have not had a, a solid season, but if there's one rider who perhaps has underperformed, especially given how he did last season, would Hector Barber be one of them? I think he might be the biggest underperformer in the grid, not named Andrea. He's uh, on a GP 16. He's on a 16, and he's behind his teammate, Loris Baz, who's on a 15. Yeah, what has happened? Like, apparently, the story is that Hector Barbera has struggled a lot with front end grip on the GP16, which is a shame because Barbera was one of was one of the underappreciated guys in the field last year. They did a very very solid job, given they are the bottom of the Ducati support ladder, and that remains to be the case now. But they they gave. They gave Hector a GP60, and I was thinking top 10 overall for Hector for this season. The fact he's in 18th, only cracked the top 10 once, has had a disqualification this season, which is obviously dreadful. For, uh, what was that, for jumping the start and then not saying his penalty in the Saxon yeah. ring? That's just petulant, quite frankly, and not a good look at all. And I'm, I'm going to look it up now, but I'm pretty sure um, something it's, it's something along the lines of he's about 40 points off where he was this yeah, time he, yeah because he was he was he was often troubling the top independent riders last season and yeah his his best result as you say the season was ninth which came in barcelona which was a, a an unusual weekend shall we say yeah, given was, given that's... the uh, given the state of the track and tires were falling apart and he through attrition really and through looking after his tires the ducati notoriously being quite kind on its tires barbara came through to ninth um, but he he scored points in six of the nine races, but they've been bottom end points. They've been 12th, 13th, yeah. 14th. Um, and Loris Baz has been in the top 10 twice um, and has regularly been ahead of him on an older machine, um, which, you know, I don't, no, I don't think anyone in here would say that Loris Baz has been a standout rider this season, but he's been consistently ahead of Barbara, um, who, mm. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to try and urinate all over the bonfire that was last season for Barbara. It's almost feeling like that's his sole good season and he's almost reverted to tight this year. Yeah. I, I don't know what the type is for Barbara because he's such a veteran figure in MotoGP now. I mean, I think he just celebrated his 250th um, 250 for GP. He's been around for friggin' ever. Because if, if um, last season hadn't have happened, would we be looking at this season of Barbara have been 
kind of about where Hector Barber is. Yeah, like, like yeah, because like again, he's like if you look at his MotoGP track record so far, is is he's actually a little bit better than we've given him credit for over the years. I mean, twelfth, eleventh, eleventh, last few years, sixteenth in twenty thirteen. 18th in 2014, 15th in 2015. Last year was the breakout year, finishing 10th overall on 102 points. He's at, he's at, like, right now, he is minus 44 compared to where he was last season. He had 65 wow. points last season, which would put him on the exact same total as Jorge Lorenzo yeah. through, through nine rounds this year. And he had a podium finish in Haref and, you know, multiple top six finishes. So, like, Hector Barbara was really, really good through the first half of last season, um, which is a shame because it's, it's, it's made this fall look even worse than it actually is. But... Yeah, this this is disappointing for Hector Barbara. I expected a lot more from him this season. And in terms of an overall score, I mean, I've got him down with Sam Lowe's on a five, personally. Four. I, I, oh, I think I he's been a big... I, I think... I was expecting top 10 level performance. And I know that there's been a lot of guys to make that top 10 awfully crammed this year. But given the form of last year, I don't think it would be unfair to have Hector Barber in the top 10 for this season. And given he's on the GP16... When you look at Alvaro Bautista, who's on the same bike, who has more than twice the point score, and again, a handful of top six finishes, it makes Hector Barbara's performance look all the more disappointing. So I'm going to say four on that one for Hector. Yeah, so he averages out at a four and a half, which puts him bottom of our leaderboard at the moment behind Sam Lowe's. Um, Alex Rins is, is not featuring, so we're not giving him a score. And I'm pretty sure, I remember, we did this show at this stage last season, and... Um, at this stage of the season, Hector Barbara was our second highest valued rider behind Mark Marquez. Um, this Pretty sure season, we had like a nine, I think. Yeah, we Something had like a nine overall. He's going to be somewhere near the bottom of this one, if not bottom outright um, at this stage. Um, will we give him some company down there at the bottom of the leaderboard with Tito Rabat, who's 17th in the championship, um, just a place above Barbara on 23 points? Um, now, Tito Rabat unquestionably has been better than he was last year. Um, Undisputedly, but he, he kind of had to be, didn't he? Yeah, this like like this is year three of the Rabat experiment, and by now it's. <sighs> I was expecting like the thing is like you look at his teammate Jack Miller, which we'll get to later on in the list, and Jack Miller, who was genuinely looking now like a top ten rider in the field, and Rabat has okay, he's definitely gotten better. There's no dispute of that. He is now scoring okay bottom half level points on a consistent basis now but as you say seven out of nine races he's been in the points yeah and he's you know he's around you know the 11 to 13 sort of range and that's not bad by any measure but the problem is is that one jack miller has taken a big leap forward this year where he's looking like again like a guy that could be in the top 10 and you know they're getting used to the honda and the honda has definitely gotten better for these riders since then but rabat He's still the worst of the Hondas in the championship and has been since his inception. Yeah, and, you know, the problem is as well. He's, he's, got, he's yeah. got just, done, just yeah. over half the points of his teammate. Exactly. And that's the problem is that he's still the distant bottom feeder on the Honda RC213. And I expected, again, I expected him to improve and he has improved, but. I think it only looks better because last season he was just so nondescript and. I think this will be his last season in the top class, given I think Frankie Morbidelli will be knocking on the door 
and most likely taking at least one of their two seats and probably Rabat will be the, will be the one he ends up taking because like Rabat's done three years and he's not looking like a guy that's that's particularly special at all unfortunately I don't think there's been any real outstanding moment for him so far this season I just think Rabat's just there for the check sadly because we all know he's very well funded uh, he brings good sponsorship to the table and you, everyone's been very patient with him but I think this is the year where we're finding out that Rabat might just be another case of a MotoGP champion that's uh or a Moto2 champion that just, you know, has been shown up a little bit by the bigger class. Yeah, I'm sure he's in his second year in MotoGP, uh, Tito Rabat, which, I mean, he feels like he's been around forever. But I think he's, he's yeah. in, in, to be fair, though, even though he's not been around for quite that long, you kind of get the feeling if he, if a MotoGP rider was going to break out, it would have done by now um, with Tito yes. Rabat. It's, it's not like he's been in a bad team. He's been in a team that have, that have backed him, have got all the support in the world for him because they took him to the Moto2 title. Um, but they've... There was that one sort of flash. I think it was Mugello time where he got straight through to Q2. Um, and he was sort of fifth quickest in, in the morning in free practice and that FP3 at Mugello. And we kind of thought, oh, hang on. Tito Rabat's finally turned up. Um, but, but it never really translated. He did score. He got 11th place that day, um, which, I mean, I don't think he had a result to better it last season. So that would be his all-time best in MotoGP. I don't think he's had a top 10 ever uh, in MotoGP, Tito. Um, but... Um, Perhaps me. I think maybe Argentina last year he was up there. But anyway, that's about as good as it's been. Um, He's had two Rabat. top tens. Two top career tens high, in his career. Career high ninth in Argentina last year. Finished 10th at Bruno last season as well. And, and Argentina last year was a, was a crazy race with flag to flag and, and rain in it. So, so yeah, it was. It, that's about where Tito is in MotoGP. It's sort of second half of the points. He'll, he'll pick up a few scraps if riders crash ahead of him. Um, and unfortunately for MotoGP at that level, that's not quite good enough for unfortunately for Tito and I mean I've I've given him the same as I gave Barbara I've given him a five um I mean he's he's been he's been solid I mean he's only DNF once this year which was in Spain so he's he's not making mistakes but the, just the outright blistering pace just isn't there is it no I'm gonna go 4.5 again the, the the fact he is he only has the one DNF I think saves him he's at least he's not making mistakes and he's throwing away decent results he has been consistent he's not putting very much wrong I just think that this is all he's got really and that's that's not going to impress Honda and I think Honda are going to look at a, a, a stud talent like Frankie Morbidelli and go you know what he's a, there's a good chance this guy's going to be better so I'm going to go 4.5 for Tito on this one not not a disaster by any stretch it's just the rest of the field has moved on and gotten faster and he just hasn't really yeah he might have impressed Honda's world superbike team though as well as we may well soon find out later this summer we'll see if that does transpire if he does indeed move um to, to world superbikes um there has been a lot of debate as i'm sure you've if you listen to this show you've probably seen it on twitter this week about the uh the uh pros and cons and the uh relative uh standards in most gp and, and world sbk of course we debated this last week this current state of world superbikes i'm not so sure what it'd say about world superbikes if tito rabat is the uh is the answer to a question over there for one of the uh the leading factory teams in that paddock but we'll see uh, if Tito does get the call up for Red Bull Honda um, next year. Um, moving up on the grid then to, I guess, another rider who has to be one of the disappointments of the season, Dre. Given where Suzuki were at this season, I think we're expecting a lot more than 16th in the championship from Andrea Iannone so far. This has been an unmitigated disaster for Suzuki. This is going to be the guy to lead their team. He, I still say he was unfairly gotten rid of from Ducati the previous year. Um, he had a level of pace that not even Govi had alongside him, really, that we haven't seen till this season. 
and I thought Ian Ernie would be a bit better than this and it's easy to forget that while we may have given Alicia Spagaro a hard time for his run at Suzuki, he was still a top six runner on regular occasions, even though, even with Maverick Vinales alongside him getting that one win and multiple top fours. Um, Alicia was still very good in a vacuum for Suzuki at the same time. It's just that Maverick was outstanding. And this team has taken a huge step back this year. There is no question of that. And I think a lot of that, I mean, if you listen to like the Paddock Pass podcast with, with, with actual journalists that are in the trenches and know what's going on, and you read stories about lack of work ethic, rumors of partying rather than training, uh, refusing to listen to anyone in Suzuki's camp and instead listening to his own entourage. Yeah, apparently after of, the, uh, I think it was after the Aston race, he went to Ibiza. Yeah, basically, you know, he's not been very friendly of obligating to team duties. He's gone out partying and he's not really knuckling down and trying to work on his riding style. He's just... Uh, taking that big Suzuki paycheck to make him their factory star rider and he's just going about his own business and it's and I know he's I know, like, I know he's got a reputation I know he's nicknamed the maniac and he's got this reputation as being a bit of a, a loose cannon but I've always seen that as a loose cannon on the bike um, as we've yes. seen with some of his mistakes where he took Lorenzo out in Barcelona took Dobby out in Argentina last year um, but I always thought of Andrea Ioni as a rider and as a as a as a competitor, someone that would always try his heart out, and that surprises me more than anything. I was expecting if this Ioni experiment at Suzuki was going to backfire, it was because he'd make mistakes on track and crash it too often, not through a lack of motivation off the track, which I've got to say right. amazes me. And given that he was signed, given that his teammates are rookie, he was signed to play the team leader role at Suzuki, and he's certainly not right. leading by example. No, he isn't. There's there's no ifs or buts about it. He has been poor on and off the track for Suzuki. And if 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 there's even like a hint of rumours talk about Ian Oni not being there next season, it says a lot when they've invested so much into a to get a rider of his talent to replace one of the level of Maverick Vinales, who, you know, got all the pats on the back and the understanding from Suzuki on the way out, because everybody knew that Yamaha was the place to be. And I don't think there was any hard feelings between him and Suzuki. Um, and, you know, they like like they, they they spoke very highly of Maverick even after they knew he was leaving. Um, and they, they, they appreciated just how far Maverick had taken that team in such a short space of time. And Ian Oni is doing the opposite. I mean, okay, sure, he's been in the top 10 four times, but you, but you expect that from a rider of his quality. And Suzuki has, has had a race win. It's had podium finishes. It's had top six finishes on a regular basis. This is a step back. It hasn't had like, a single one this year. Um, like if, if, if you looked at that results screen right now of Ian Oni, you'd think that would be Laurie Spaz, who's above him in the championship, rather than someone that's on a factory bike on a brand new factory bike and on a ride that it's finished in the top five of the championship before like Andrea Iannone has. Hmm. So the, the, the moment where you cut it, very disappointing. Yeah, very, very disappointing. And it's it's amazing. It feels like, it doesn't feel like the same season that Andrea Iannone actually fought for the lead at the opening round in Qatar, didn't he? He qualified, well, I say qualified up the front. He was, he was up the front of the grid because qualifying didn't happen because of the rain that weekend. And his practice time put him, I think, on the second row of the grid. Um, that weekend, and then he was battling for the lead when he fell off in that in that Qatar Grand Prix earlier in the season back in in March. So back then Again. we thought, yeah, back then we thought, hey, on Suzuki, <laughs> Suzuki are still there is life after Maverick, and Yanone is still the rider we all thought he was that has this incredible upside. But 
yeah, Idone's been a terrible disappointment. This isn't an excuse for him, but we have to throw this in and um, try and find some sort of mitigation for Andre Iannone. Um Are Suzuki perhaps, well, were they, or are they exposing themselves as perhaps more a case of the riders were making the bike go rather than the bike last year? And are Suzuki arguably not the team Iannone thought he'd signed for? Maybe. Ian O'Neill's been so poor. I think it's kind of. I think it's kind of fair to ask the question. If like if Ian O'Neill was was really really good and Alex Rins had the season he's had so far, maybe we give Ian O'Neill more of a pass and maybe we point the finger at the team for not being quite as good. But Ian O'Neill has been so questionably bad this season that I can't say that with any true conviction. Whether Suzuki has been bad or whether the riders just let them down that much, it seems maybe Suzuki is the sort of bike where the rider will make the difference. Um, maybe it's that. Maybe it's the way it's constructed and formulated that uh, you know it's it is it's only as good as its rider. It's maybe it's just that sort of bike. I don't know, but. Yeah, but no matter by, no matter which measure, I've not seen enough of Suzuki at all this season to suggest even if he only was giving it his all, which we don't think he really is. Even if he did, I'm not sure they'd be where they were last year where they were in the top six. No, absolutely not. Because if you look at the team's championship at the moment, in the manufacturer's championship, they're fourth, which is I think where they finished last year at the end, um, behind Ducati. But they were they only missed out to Ducati by a point or two um, last year. They're currently uh, 77 points behind Ducati. Uh, in fourth place, and only a point ahead of Aprilia uh, in fifth. And um, Aprilia have come in for plenty of criticism this season, uh, haven't they? Um, and KTM, of course, are way behind them. And in the team's championship, Dre, Suzuki, Team Suzuki X-Star, who finished last season's team championship, I think, in third place, they are 10th out of 12 at the moment, and they've only got Aprilia that's... and Red Bull KTM behind them. That's that's not good, no matter which way you look at it. I mean, one of them is a brand new team, and the other one has had numerous problems on the bike that anyone, any expert will tell you is fundamentally screwed. A pretty are uh, the worst team in the paddock for me in terms of overall net performance. But Suzuki aren't far off, given how mediocre they've been this season. It's not even like, I'm not even sure it's the riders. It's again, we've had Sylvain Gintoli, a world superbike champion on that bike, and he struggled on it too. Um, just the one point to his name and two other 17th finishes. So, like, I don't know what the baseline is. I mean, look, look at like Catalonia, for example, where Gintas was only a second or so off his teammate over the line in a, in a 25 lap race. Mm. Um, so, it's. No, no matter which way you cut it, he's been poor, and it's only going to continue if this keeps up. So, yeah, Suzuki, way, way, way back where they need to be, and yeah, um, Ian Oni, I think, has to take the the majority of the blame here. I think, yeah, and in terms of a score, Dre, I mean, I've given him a four, and I'm starting to think that's a little bit generous. <sighs> three, I think, I think three is about right for me because. There has been next to nothing I can say that's been truly positive about Ian O'Neill's season. Every positive has come with an equally big or bigger negative. When company legends like Kevin Schwartz are coming out and criticising you, saying to basically take your bike and go home if you if you can't handle the idea of trying to develop it. Um, when you've pissed off, you know, team legends, you've you've upset the management, and you've you've shown not only poor performances but also poor work ethic. 
that's not instilling confidence in anybody. And that he's been the stand, the standout underperformer in the MotoGP field this season. Mm. So for me, I think a three is is more than enough. For yeah, me. And it's uh, and it's reflected in our current leaderboard because uh, despite my generous four, he is still very much bottom uh, of our list at the moment. Uh, Hector Barbara, you're off the hook. You're off the bottom of the table. Um, and Sam Lowe's is incredibly. We've gone through so far seven riders, and Sam Lowe's at the moment. I make him fourth at the moment. Um, he's got oh, he's got he's that? got Barbara at Rabat and Yanoni behind him. Uh, we moment. work for BT Sport now. Yeah, <laughs> we uh, yeah uh, yeah. Just call us Neil and uh, and Gavin. Um, but no. Um, moving on to 14th. Uh, sorry, 15th in the championship. I nearly missed out. Loris Baz, and that's not through uh, any kind of. Um, Old old drudges um, from from back in his world superbike days. Oh, Boris Baz, fifteenth um, in the world championship, thirty one points. Um, and as as we mentioned earlier on, has been better than his teammate Hector Barbara. But we can argue that's more Hector being bad than Loris being good. Um, yeah. But he has had some standout rides. He was ninth on his home Grand Prix at Le Mans. Um, and that wasn't exactly a race where nobody finished. There were still enough finishes in there for ninth to be a good result, given what he was up against. And eighth in that mixed-up conditions race at Assen, where Loris Baz has always tended to be very, very good in those mixed conditions. Um, he often tended to go well in wet conditions. We all remember his results at Misano when he took fourth in the flag-to-flag race in 2015. And I think he was, oh, fourth. Yeah. I think, I think he was fourth as well last year at Bruno in the wet conditions too. Certainly not far off. He was fourth or fifth in that race as well. So 15th of the championship, Dre, on a two-year-old Ducati. Um, the only Ducatis ahead of him are the two Pramax and the two factory Ducatis. Um, solid enough for Loris, I'd say that. I think that's pretty good. Um, again, on a two-year-old bike, he's better than the other yardstick, Carol Abraham, who's also won a GP15 this year. He's He's got 11 more points than him. He's been in the top 10 on two occasions as well. The results, generally speaking, are better. Only one DNF. He's comprehensively been better than, than Hector Barbera has this season. And just, on the whole, not really put a foot wrong and not much to really criticise him for. I mean, the, the Avincia team, again, is one where everything's up for debate right now because they're probably the weakest of the Ducati um, satellite customer teams right now. And apparently both riders are on the chopping block and, you know, they, they, they could both easily be replaced by other riders in the field. But it may be a shame for Baz because, again, Baz has actually developed the consistency that he often lacked. I mean, multiple DNFs last year, injuries put him out for multiple rounds as well last season, but he's actually starting to put it together now and is now, you know, in the top 12 on a regular basis. And given that he's on a GP15, what more could you really ask for from that to be in the top 15 in a championship on a two-year-old bike? I think that's impressive stuff. Hmm, because it's interesting, because if he if he and Barbara were attained for next season, let's say, um, you'd surely have to say if the team maintains its current policy and they're given one one-year-old bike and one two-year-old bike, Surely Baz would get the newer bike for next season because he's done the better job this season. Um, think? But, um, but yeah, I've given him... Given that I gave Abraham a 7, I can't give Baz any lower than that, so I've given him a 7.5 um, for, for his season so far. Um, what what concerns me, though, for Baz, or if I were Loris Baz, what would concern me, is that for he was the answer to a question that MotoGP doesn't really need to ask anymore, in that MotoGP needed a French rider really on the grid when Randy Dupunier left. Loris Baz was the best out there at that time, but now Joan Zarco exists. Um, so, so, Paul, so Paul Loris Baz looks like he may well come unstuck due to that and lose his spot on the grid. And I don't think he's necessarily done 
enough to lose his spot on the grid. I think he's done enough job to stick around another year. No, absolutely. I think he should be on the grid for next year. I think he's. I mean, if you're in the top 15, you, uh, which is as far as the points go down, you should automatically be on the grid for next season because, especially given the bike is old, the bike is two years old, and Baz has gotten it into the top 10 on, on multiple occasions. I. I agree. I think the 7.5 is the right score for Baz. I think he's had a very good job. He should be on the grid next season. I fear he might not be because of Johan Zarco, which is a real shame because through no fault of his own, he could be getting the chop because he's no longer a negotiating tool for Dorna. But again, I think Baz has been good, genuinely improved, done a really good job on, a, on, an, on an older bike. And again, I don't think you can ask anything more out of a guy that's on a two-year-old motorcycle, especially in this field. So yeah, I think Baz has been one of the better, lower class, lower tier performers so far in MotoGP this season. So yeah, I think seven and a half is right. Yeah, we're agreed on that. Yeah, Loris Baz, he's, he was effectively, Avintia was subsidized to, uh, to bring him in because Donna wanted a, a Frenchman on the grid, a competitive Frenchman. And now that John Zarko's on the grid, Donna probably aren't going to do that anymore. Uh, so you can imagine Avintia are more likely now to try and chase a rider who's got a bit more money behind him um, for next season. So unfortunately, Loris Baz may well um, be the fall guy for that. We hope he isn't because he's done a very, very good job this year. Um, he's 15th in the championship. Just ahead of him is Aleish Aspargaro, lead Aprilia rider, um, who, amazingly, Dre, is 14th in the championship, 32 points, but he's only accrued those in four races because he's DNF'd four times. He also failed to score in Texas when he finished 17th, um, which I think was after a crash, so he remounted. So he's effectively crashed in five of the nine races so far. But when Aleish Aspargaro has seen the checkered flag, he tends to be fairly high up. I completely agree. Like, again, it's that level of upside that Alicia has got at that level, which nobody else really has, is that Alish bring like, Alish makes bad teams better. And he is the undisputed king of that in recent times. And it's a shame because, as you say, he, he, he's, he's, he's probably overridden this bike on multiple occasions, which has led to those multiple DNFs he's had. Because if he had just, you know, maybe taken the bad results every once in a while, he'd probably have a few more points to his name. And he'd be up there with Bautista and Miller as one of the top independents overall, um, which is a shame. because Well, he's not really independent because he's on the pretty, but they do get concessions. So they kind of are officially considered an independent team. So I'm sure he was top independent qualifier somewhere and he was in part for me. Um, exactly. Of that. So, so the team is considered an, an indie team. Um, but... I mean, my score for him, I've, I've given him a 7.5, same as Baz. Now, I've, 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 I'm trying to think whether I go high or whether I go low here because he's he's crashed a lot this year. He's, as I say, he's crashed more than Sam has uh, on the other bike. He's DNF'd four times. Um, but, I mean, I cannot give him anything lower than a 7.5, if nothing else, just for that ride in Qatar, uh, where he was sixth, in the was end, where he was sixth at the end and stuff. chasing down the factory Hondas. Yeah, he was. If that race is two laps longer, he probably finishes in fourth place. That was an incredible performance in the opening round in Qatar. One of the rides of uh, the season. Well, yeah, one of the rides of the season so far. Um, given it's a Prillia, given that that bike is is a still a Frankenstein's experiment of a bike overall, at least where I'm sitting, I think an eight for Alicia Spagaro on this one. I'm I'm actually going to forgive the crashes because. He has shown that our prettier is not total dog shit. So um, I'm going to go eight on this one. I think I think an extra half point for the performance of this. Well, the performances of the season so far in Qatar, he was take. Like, he, he, he he like he might have gone maybe even a little bit higher than that still. But again, he was a bonehead in, in Argentina and took Dovi out. Yeah, he so would have been top six then if if he'd made the finish. Yeah. He, he probably would have been. 
not a million miles away from the top six had he not crashed in Barcelona as well because um, he wasn't too far off there. Um, famously finished uh, or finished, yeah, he finished ahead of Valentino Rossi at Jerez because he beat him in the end to ninth uh, in that race. You know, he has picked up some pretty notable scalps over the course of this year as Alessio Spargaro. Um, and as I say, when he's seen the checker flag, he tends to be very, very near the front, uh, much yeah. further near, further towards the front than you'd expect that Aprilia to be. So I think he definitely deserves um, that score. He averages out at 7.75, which actually puts him top at the moment. He's our highest ranked rider um, so far. I don't think the next one's going to trouble him, uh, unfortunately, because uh, Scott Redding, 13th in the championship. Um, it's This is such a shame for me, Dre, because his season started so well. He was fourth in the championship after the second round in Argentina. Um, yeah. But if you look at the, um, if you were to do a line graph and a curve of um, Scott Redding's season, it would look like an avalanche because it's just yeah. gone down and down and down. And it looks like it's going to go so far down that it might cost him his MotoGP career. Oh. Yeah, it's, I never thought I would say this. I feel bad for Scott Redding because... He looks mentally he, shot to me. Yeah, he, he looks like a broken dude. Like, I saw his Instagram post after the Saxon ring going into the summer break, and he looked like a beaten dude. He looked like a guy that had had all the confidence taken out of him. He's complained about rear grip the entire season, uh, the lack of it, so to speak. He completely torched his tyres at Assen. And unfortunately, Danilo Petrucci has been so outstanding on the GP17 this year and completely justified the choice in giving him the GP17 machine that Redding just doesn't look... He looks wor even worse than what he really has been because the yardsticks here really are Barbara, who we've established has been terrible on the GP16, and Bautista, who has been great on the GP16 for Aspar, a team with even less resources in it than, than Pramac yeah, do. Yeah, Bautista's 11 points ahead of him. And yeah, 11 points is actually a fair bit bigger than that, given that big points aren't, aren't going to be coming along all that often and when you're fighting for you know bottom end of the top 10. And... Like again, like you say, he started the season so strong with two top two top eights in Qatar and Argentina was fourth overall. Has not had a top ten performance since, and Argentina was back in April. So we're looking at three months now since Redding saw top ten of a MotoGP result, and crashes have been involved. Poor like poor finishes. Um, you know, lack of temperament, maybe you could argue, is thrown in there as well. And now just look like a rider that just seems to be lacking confidence. And he almost, it's like he knows he probably won't be there next season unless maybe Mark VDS throw him a lifeline, um, given that Michael Bartolomé that runs the team is also Scott's personal manager. So there's a little bit of a conflict of interest there. But hey, um, the problem is that Reading wasn't actually all that great on the Honda when he was there either, which is, you know, it could be a matter of just, uh, you know, one one underperforming bike for another for Scott. But unfortunately, he's not earned the right to really make claim to anything better. He's got a good bike underneath him as Bautista's proven that uh, you know, he's the best rider outside of the top 10 and everyone of that top 10 has had at least one podium finish to their name this year um, so Redding overall not terrible but I think he's been leaning on those first two rounds for a little bit too long and I think the, the true performance of Redding this season 
is actually a little bit worse than what that 13th overall is making him look. Yeah, half of his, just about half of his points came in those first two races. 17 of his 33 points came in those first two rounds when he was 7th and 8th. And as I say, was 4th in the World Championship at that stage. Um, I've, I've given him 5.5 um, so far for his season. I can't give him any worse than I've given Barbara because he's ahead of him and he's done a better job than Barbara. But I gave Barbara a 5. Um, and Reading has been a smidge better, but it's just... He's, he's guilty of the fact that his season has just got progressively worse and worse and worse and this summer break has kind of come at the best time for him um, so he can kind of reset because his, his MotoGP career is on the line here and the longer this goes on the less and less spots there are for Scott Redding to potentially make a claim for I mean the only spot that you can really potentially place Scott Redding in is that Mark VDS spot because I don't think Avinti are going to take you on because Scott Redding doesn't bring any money with him no, exactly. It's it's the problem is, is that Scott might be damaged goods at this point. He's lost the rider battle to Petrucci before. He's probably going to lose this one as long as Petrucci has been one of the breakout stars of the year, which we'll get to later on in the episode. But Scott, like, and he's not, he's not experienced anymore either. He's had four seasons no, now. This is season four for Scott Redding, and this is a guy that people had a lot of faith and hope in when he he graduated into MotoGP when he was twenty one. And like he very nearly and probably should have won the Moto Two title. Yeah, he was an injury away from winning it. Yeah, when he was there in 2013, he probably should have been champion that year, um, given the circumstances going into the last few rounds where he was not, he was taken out, injured, and then obviously hurt himself again at Phillip Island. Um, Scott has had a lot of people invest a lot of resources and money into trying to get the best out of him, and it's not work. Like Scott's running out of excuses now at this point, and. He's got a GP16. It's a very good bike. And as I've mentioned, Bautista's had a patchy season. But when he's been on it, he has been outstanding. Redding has not had. I think Bautista's had like one race this season where he's crossed the line that was on a par of anything Redding's pulled off on the same bike. That says it all, really. So for me, I'm going to give Redding a 4.5. I don't. I, I think. I think the seventh and eighth are masking a, a, a true story of just a guy that's underperformed pretty much all season long. So Scott Redding averages out at a five. Maybe through sympathy, if nothing else, are giving him a 5.5. Um, Jack Miller next up. He is 12th in the World Championship, and again, kind of like Tito Rabat, he's a rider who has noticeably improved a level from last Definitely. year. Um, but then again, Jack Miller was at a pretty decent level before. He certainly was at a better level than Rabat. And Jack Miller, although he's 12th in the points straight, has kind of made himself a regular fixture of the top 10 now, hasn't he? He is. Five five out of nine top 10 finishes this season. And he's actually um, closer to Cal in the championship than you think. He's only two spots behind him. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we all know Cal's got Cal's a race winner now. Like we expect Cal to be in the top 10, but I think Cal's had a disappointing season by his standards. Um, but Miller, yeah, like this is the year so far that Miller is finally proving why Honda gave him that much faith to give him a factory contract when he was 19 years old in Moto3 and did the double Just jump. Just as that contract's coming to an end. <laughs> Ironically, as he leaves that contract to go yes. to Pramac. Um, as you do. Sell high, Jack Miller. Sell high. Um, but oh, um, Danny Kent have done the same. Yeah, no kidding. Jesus Christ. Like, Redding, like Danny Kent could have been in Scott Redding's shoes right about now. And that would have been that. Like, Pramac of an all-British team with, with Kent and Redding. That would have been something to talk about. But um, I digress. Miller has been very good this season. Like, again, like, that Mark VDS team is one of the weakest teams in the paddock. 
but Miller has brought them into play. I mean, that sixth place at Assen was great. We all know he's good around there. He started the season with three, like with four out, four out of the top ten. He like four races in the top ten in the first five rounds, and he wasn't making mistakes. And his, his pace has clearly gone up a level. He's starting to prove the Honda faith is starting to pay off, which is, you know, I think could be a good coup for Ducati for next season. But I think Jack Miller's been very good. Yeah, the question is, I suppose, how good? I mean, I'm, I've given him a 7.5 because that's as high as I've given anyone so far, by the way. I gave Baz and Espargaro that as well. Um, but he's, in a way, he's been a victim of his own success last year because he's not had that ultimate mega performance that he had last year which was a win to be fair it was almost hard for him to ever reach that level again this year um but i would say probably although he hasn't had the ultimate standout ride that he had last year his level of consistency has been better exactly only two dns which is not bad for seven rounds um and again like five top 10 finishes that's that's pretty darn good the problem with though of rating miller season is there's a lack of real yardsticks to compare it mm. to because the Hon like his teammate is not particularly good. Cal Crutchlow is a race winning level guy that we think often is an alien. So and the Honda is notoriously a difficult bike to ride. Exactly. So it's hard to put a number on Jack, but I'm gonna go seven point five because I think Miller is definitely improving i think he's actually a little bit better than his results suggest given that he is on a honda and um is a difficult bike and he's had to work very very hard to get it where it is and the hard work is paying off with jack miller and that's good to see um and i look forward to seeing how he does on a pramac next year probably a gp17 um and we're going to see miller on a bike that might be a little bit more user friendly for him and that's going to be an exciting thing to keep an eye on so yeah i'm going to give jack miller a 7.5 yeah we're agreed on that seven and a half uh, for jack miller um to one of the riders who i think has been one of the stars of the season so far and he's only actually amazingly finished five of the nine races so far yet he's 11th in the championship um a few years ago or a couple of years ago when he was languishing down the back in that on that aprilia when he was teammates with melandri back at the start of that aprilia experiment Part of me wondered whether we'd seen the best and almost seen the last of Alvaro Bautista uh, in MotoGP. I, I never thought we were going to see this level of performance from him again in MotoGP. And arguably, we haven't seen this level before, have we, Dre? Is this the best Alvaro Bautista has ever been in MotoGP? Probably at least his best since 2014 when he was his last year on, on the Honda. Um, was the last year when he was on the satellite Honda package. Yeah, I think Bautista, is, uh, he's not looked this good at least since 2013. Um, at least in my way, he was like the best of the independents. But then that was a really good bike back then. But um, yeah, Bautista, I mean, this is the best an Aspar has ever looked in MotoGP. He's doing a fantastic job on that bike. I mean, okay, he's been inconsistent and he's he's got four DNFs to his name. But when he has finished... Four performances in the top seven is outstanding, given given that bike and given the team, which is, again, one of the most cash-strapped, resource-strapped teams in MotoGP. Bautista is only three points off, like only 20 points off a top 10 spot. And like I said, every rider above him in the championship has at least one podium finish to their names. Like the top 10... There is a distant drop-off between Cal Crutchlow and everybody else in the championship. And it's ironic because, like I said, the 10 guys above him have all had at least one podium. And, yeah, the best of the rest award goes to Alvaro Bautista because I think he's done a brilliant job on that GP16 for Aspar. He's led the team 
with real tenacity and brutal pace at times. Um, if he could stamp some of the mistakes out of this game, I'd be giving him an 8 right now. But I think 7.5 is about right because, of, again, 4 DNFs is a little bit on the high side. I think he could be doing a little bit better on, on, on that front. But the, his, his pace is insane for someone of his age. And given the resources available to him, he's done a very, very good job. Yeah, I have given him an eight. He's, he's the first eight I've handed out so far. I know you gave one Fair to Alicia. I think it's just his, his good days have been so good. Um, that he deserves a finish. I mean, four, yes. fourth in Argentina. And at the end of that Grand Prix, he was the fastest man on track. Uh, in Argentina, it was it was incredible the way he was actually chasing Crutchlow down, um, and similar to Aleish when he was chasing the Hondas down in Qatar, another couple laps, and might have been talking about about each the podium um, in Argentina earlier this year. He also, let's not forget, beat Mar- Marquez at Mugello um, in that race where yes. he finished fifth, um, and he only had the two factory Yamahas and two of the factory Ducatis ahead of him um that was one of the days where petrucci was inspired and finished on the podium um his good days have been so good and as i say his good days have been a, a level above what i thought bautista could produce in motor gp um and, he, and he's more than earned his spot with that team next season where we'd expect him to have a gp 17 um with that aspar team next season um, in, in 2018 which he, he fully fully deserves he has been uh, one of the probably one of the standout performers so far this season um into the top 10 and Cal Crutchlow, who I don't suppose has been one of the standout performers this season. He has had one podium. That was the aforementioned result in Argentina where he finished third. A couple of fourths as well and a fifth. Um, but it's kind of been the same mix for Cal of great results. And um, so it's been peaks and troughs, hasn't it? He's also had a couple of, uh, he's had three DNFs, um, three very, very costly DNFs where he's crashed out of fairly good positions. Um, and... 10th in the championship for a guy who let's not forget did win twice last season and was being talked about in the same breadth as is this guy on the same level as the aliens in months gp um i think this season's proved if anything that cal is at best a level below that yes um i'll give you a bit of perspective on this um i i I, one of my favorite things about moto gp season is when they do their traditional rider intros for the year and the way they plan them out now it's been a staple of the video games as well where they've ran through the grid and the grid just gets better and better every year and it's amazing it's almost like a hierarchy isn't it of uh, yeah, how it, they it value is, their yeah indeed and this year's they they put it up rookies first and then championship order and cal crutchlow they put in in the second half of that video with the rest of the aliens with with davizioso with ian like with ian only pedrosa and obviously the big four um on their respective machinery so like which like it, it after the season he had last year it would not be unfair to put cal in that elite in that elite tier given what he accomplished last season cal was hyping it up so why can't we and like he clearly took a step forward last year winning two races on him and being in the dry as well it is an outright dry victory for crutchlow where i was like okay like Cal's taken a step forward here, and he seems to have taken a step back this year. Because I look at his results, and you know what he screamed to me, Sotheby? Stefan Bradl. Hmm. Like, like this would roughly be a Bradl season that is best right about now. And 
fun, like, unfortunately for Cal, Bradles had better seasons in the fringe of the top 10 in, given, when, when they were in together in MotoGP. Okay, it's a little bit harsh because he's only a point behind Lorenzo and a point behind Petrucci. So it's, it is close at the bottom end of that top 10. So it may, it looks a little bit worse than what it is, but I'm sorry, I expected more out of Cal. He's not been terrible. He's actually been okay. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think he's, yeah, okay will be the way I describe it. I've given him a seven so far. Um, but... <laughs> He's he's fourth. I mean, remember, let's not forget, he was the independent champion, if you want to use that term, for last year. He was the top independent. He's fourth out of them this year. He's got two rookies on Yamahas ahead of him and Petrucci on the Ducati ahead of him um, in independent teams that are beating him in the championship. And as I say, it's been that, that usual mix for Cal of great results and crashes, unfortunately. He crashed in uh, Jerez when he tells everyone that will listen that he would have been on the podium that day. Um, behind two other Hondas that were one and two, Pajoros and Marquez, because Lorenzo got that final podium spot on that day. Crutchlow tells us that it would have been him had he stayed on. Um, and he was so, so close to being on the podium at Assen, but that brave move from Marquez, two corners out, beat him to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so so Crutchlow has been, as I say, on his good days, he's every bit as good as he was last year and um, capable of picking off a, a great result somewhere. And it still wouldn't surprise me if we get a wet race, a full wet race, if Crutchlow does go on and win it again. Um, later yeah, on sure. this year and of course we have to remember as well albeit it's a very very different MotoGP this season but Cal Crutcher is probably around about where he was in the championship at this stage last season wasn't he and then the second half of the season was where he really took yes. off yes very true very true he came alive in the second half of the year after winning winning in Bruno and then you know winning later on in the year at, 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 at uh, Phillip Island so yeah, you're right. Like Cal's second half was a lot better than his first half last year too. So I'm not going to hold it against him too much. I'm going to give Cal a 6.5. Um, I think Cal. I don't think it would be unfair if anybody said he should maybe be a little bit better by now, mm. um, given given the standards that we hold him to. Given that he, you know, like he should be aiming to be top independent, and that top independent right now is 20 points away. And like I expected a bit better from Cal given his experience, given the fact he's been on that Honda for three years now. He knows what the deal is. And the way it's played out so far, I think it feels like one step forward and two steps back. Mm, yeah, and uh, to, in closing, what I'd say as well on Cal Crutchlow is if he's if he's genuinely got a near enough factory bike, if he's on similar equipment to Marquez and Pedroza, he probably should be a little bit closer to them in the championship than he is. Yes. Um, Marquez has 129 points, Pedroza 103, Crutchlow 64 um and i think that gap is too big um for for for, for, for crutchlow unfortunately um <laughs> now on to another rider that i'm finding I, i've been thinking as we're going through this show how on earth i'm going to rate this man how am i, oh, I going to grade jorge lorenzo um who is ninth in the world championship and to many would be one of the disappointments if not the greatest disappointment of 2017 so far um but we are talking here dre about a rider who it's, there's two ways of looking at this. One way is a five-time world champion should be doing a lot better than ninth in the championship with one podium. But yeah. equally, the other way of looking at it is this is a guy who's ridden a Yamaha for nine years and is finding it harder than any of us could appreciate to learn riding a Ducati. Um, which of the two camps are you in? <sighs> Probably the latter, if yeah. I'm being honest. Um, I find myself leaning that way as well. I mean, I've been as, yeah, I mean, on this this show has probably been more critical than Jorge Lorenzo than any other rider over its history of the show. But even yeah. I'm finding it hard to be too critical of him. I, I I do have sympathy for him because this is a huge challenge he's taking on. I'm not sure many people quite appreciate the scale of the challenge. 
I, even I didn't appreciate the scale of the challenge, and I'll be the first person to admit that. Just one problem. His teammate, who we've yeah. always glossed over, is, is outpointed him two to one and has two wins. Yes. It's not a good look. Like, we've overlooked Davizioso for years in MotoGP, and this is, he's having by a mile the best year of his career, while Lorenzo. It's oh god! I I I I am I'm, I'm dancing between a whole heap of numbers in my head right now because because I've written one down and I'm already second guessing it. <laughs> it's like, am I sure I want to say this? Because it's like Lorenzo, like how good would like the, the question you got to ask yourself is this: How good did you expect Lorenzo to be going into this season? Yeah. If you had him down as a guy that you thought immediate title contender, then you have every right to say it's been very disappointing. If you had Lorenzo down as a guy that was really going to struggle changing to a fundamental bike, where he's at right now is probably about right. The problem is, is that Dovi's kind of left him with no room to breathe because he's been so frigging good this season that it's, it's made Lorenzo's struggles look probably a little bit worse than it deserves because... As you say, he's ridden a, a Yamaha for a decade. But you've got to remember, it was Lorenzo himself that took on this challenge. It wasn't forced. He asked for it, basically. And I'm not sure if even Lorenzo properly understood or, or estimated the level of change he was going to have to go through being on this bike. And, oh, God, where do I rate this? I, like... <laughs> I think you could go anywhere between four and seven, and I think you'd you'd have a claim to to. I wouldn't argue with you yeah, in terms my, of score. My, thankfully, my score does fit in that bracket. Just, I'm going to say five point five. I think Lorenzo. It's not been a disaster. It's not terrible. He has finished ten. I'm like eight out of nine. But there's, 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 there's some stinkers in there. 11th in Qatar, 15th in Assen. With, uh, again, ex exactly what we predicted. Like Lorenzo having a bad day in the wet. Again, which is exactly why Ducati didn't want to employ him. Um, again, 11th at the Saxon ring. Like, like Lorenzo is legitimately now awful in changeable conditions. Um, and that is the real weakness in Lorenzo's game. He's had a couple of really good rounds. He was great in Catalonia. He was great at Haraf. The low grip circuits he shined, but everywhere else he's been mediocre, no matter which way you slice it. So for me, 5.5. Yeah, my, my, as I say, my score just fits into that bracket. I, it, I guess it depends how much of a pass you want to give him. I've given him a little bit more of a pass and given him a 6.5, um, which okay. which I think is... It's like just... I'm looking, I think Jorge Lorenzo's biggest problem, as you quite rightly say, is Andrea De Vizioso. Um, because I'm looking at the championship at this corresponding stage last season, and Jorge Lorenzo's points tally matches the points tally of the highest Ducati rider at this stage last season, which was Hector Barbara, who was 7th in the points on 65 after 9 races last season. Jorge Lorenzo has 65 points this season and is ninth in the World Championship. It just so happens that his teammate is third on 123. If Andrea De Vizioso wasn't where he was in the championship, we'd be looking at Lorenzo and saying, well, Ducati have had another season where they haven't quite found it again. Um, and and we'd be perhaps giving Lorenzo much more of a passing and grading him higher, but his teammate has done such a good job on the other bike that Lorenzo looks poor by comparison. I think he's he he needs to improve in the second half of the season, and I think he will be eyeing up that Austrian round. Um, he'll have had that Absolutely. circled on his calendar from early, very early. On. If he can click there, that make it click there, he could quite easily win that Grand Prix. Um, be that could be the make or break round for Lorenzo's season. Yeah, absolutely. Really that, that is a round that Ducati will look to to win. But you've got to say, at this stage of the season, and we kind of touched on this briefly last time around, given the way the championship was played out, 
Ducati will probably rather Davizioso wins that one. <laughs> and, Lorenzo, oh, and Lorenzo would finish second to help him in the points. Um, so, yeah, it's a tricky one for Jorge Lorenzo. He had the podium um, at Jerez, which stunned us all, given that it was a round that Ducati historically have been pants at. Um, even, yeah. if, even if Lorenzo has done very well there in the past. He was also fourth in Barcelona, um, which by any measure on a Ducati would be a good result, but his teammate won the race. Um, so it doesn't look particularly good by comparison. Um, Sadly, the ref round is the only time he's beaten Dovi this season yeah. on the road. And the only time he's been on the podium as well. And Davizioso has had, um, well, he's actually only had three podium finishes if you include his two wins, which would surprise everyone given that he led the championship not long ago. Um, but, mm-hmm. he, but he's just been so consistent. Um, and yeah, Lorenzo, I think Lorenzo will be viewing this and I think we have to view this as a long-term project. I think it's perhaps even surprised Lorenzo how difficult the challenge is. Um, but next season, next season he has to be beating Davizioso um, to justify the, the money and the faith that, that Ducati have piled into this because they have bet their house on Jorge Lorenzo um, by, by paying him so much money. So I gave him a six and a half for a season so far. We average out a six so far. Um, for mm. Lorenzo his right. season so far which is uh, about right um, I think we're going to be an awful lot higher for this next one though um, Danilo Petrucci who's 8th in the championship um, even though he's only a point ahead of Jorge Lorenzo um, this guy has had an absolute breakout season hasn't he Dre and perhaps he's um, not quite got the points in the overall championship position to justify how well he's done it's perhaps he's a victim of the fact that there are so many great riders in MotoGP nowadays because Danilo Petrucci has been superb particularly in the last three or four races, front rows and podiums are now becoming expected from Danilo Petrucci. Yes. Rather than, then we're no longer surprised when Petrucci's on the front row and on the podium, are we? The best changeable conditions rider in the paddock, by far, in, in my opinion. I, mean, I don't think there's a better rider on the planet when things get dodgy than Danilo Petrucci. And, like, again, it, I feel bad for him in a sense because Tech 3 has been so frigging good this season that... It's almost made Petrucci's achievements look a little bit small, but two podium finishes on the independent um, Pramac um, GP17. One of them could uh, quite easily have been a win. Well, like Assen, very he had a very good chance of winning that Grand Prix. He was right up there at at, um, at Magello as well, finishing third, and was pushing Maverick Vinales very hard in that race itself. Led that race um, during occasions as well. Could have been a top five in Catalonia as well if it wasn't for the late crash um, at the end. So Petrucci has been very, very good this season. Where again, like if you, if you take if you take Germany out of the occasion, which wasn't kind to Ducati in general this season. I mean. I almost want to write off the first half of the season because it's a known fact Petrucci was basically the testing lab rat for the GP17 riders where he was told like to, to, to test this out, test that out because they were trying to back up the factory team. It's been the second half of the season so far where they've told Petrucci, do your own thing. And it's shown because he's been running on a like a top six level rider since then. And don't get me wrong, it's a very good bike, but... He has a point more than Jorge Lorenzo, who's one of the best riders ever. And the, the, the podiums he's had in the dry as well, we've got to point that because like, like Magello was a dry round. We've associated Dino with being a wet guy, um, one of the best wet guys, but he's doing it on the dry as well. Like he did at Magello in, like in Catalonia, he's been outstanding. And like, like, given where Petrucci came from, he's defied any and all expectations and has done for a good few years now where 
like he had the second at Silverstone three years ago, and he was given a fourteen point two because he was so good in that in that performance at Silverstone that day. He was better than Redding when the chips were down to get that GP seventeen, and now he's gotten it. He's proven just how great a rider he actually is. He's a legit top ten guy in the paddock now for me, and. I think 8.5 for Danilo Petrucci is where I'm going to go on this one. I think he has been the breakout star of the year in MotoGP for me this season. That's exactly what I'd have written down. And I thought I was perhaps being a slight harsh. I very nearly wrote nine for Petrucci. But I think he's there are, there are a couple of riders who we're about to touch on in a moment who I've given scores in excess of or nine or nine beyond. Um, and I don't think Petrucci has been quite as good as them. Um, I'm trying to think to myself what would, what would justify a, a nine or better, and um, I think you have to be have been absolutely sensational with next to no dips. Um, and Petrucci it has to be said has had the odd dip. I mean, Saxon Ring perhaps more down to his tire than his own riding uh, saw yeah. him drop. He would have been top six had he not decked it in Barcelona. There have still been mistakes, um, but there have been in between all those been some you know absolute five star performances from from Petrucci. And I think yeah. he deserves an eight and a half for that could quite easily, as we mentioned, have won at Aston, and I think we're agreed on that, on an 8.5. I mentioned there are a couple of riders coming up who I've gone nine or better for, and I'll start with the first of them. Um, I'll lay it out on the table now. I've given Jonas Folger a nine um, for his season so far. I think um, we, we... We'll talk about Zarco in a minute, his teammate, but if Jean Zarco hadn't done what he's done, we would be shouting from the rooftops about how good Jonas Folger's been, Dre. Yeah, it's it's it's. I actually feel sorry for Volga in that extent because, as you say, his teammate has been so exceptional. I'm so that, glad Saxering happened. Yes, because that was the moment where we all looked to Volga and said, "Yes, he's really great too." And like, what a team that Poncharol has put together here by basically going all out on two rookies. Both of them we had question marks about going into this season. And in a vacuum, Volga's been brilliant. There's been no argument to that as well. Uh, four times in the top eight, three times in the top six on a team that, you know, was had some teaming problems last year with better riders on paper than what they've got right now. And that was... fastest lap in two of the last three races, Volga. This speed is, is is absolutely exceptional. I remember he had... He, I think he had fastest lap in... Cat- yeah, Catalonia was the other one as well, where, again... His, his overall speed is outrageous on that tech free. And his upside is alien level, top like top tier speed from Volga. It's not quite the same in race paces, but the Saxon when he was so good. Like for, for 28 out of the 30 laps, he was absolutely on it. When Mark Marquez says that was the hardest he's ever had to push the Saxon ring to win that race because Volga was that good. Yeah. That and might this be is the guy who's won eight in a row. Yeah. Yeah, that's the guy that's won eight there. No, he is practically invincible at the Saxon ring. Like, that might be the individual performance of the season so far from Jonas Volga to have that second place. I agree. Nine out of ten for Jonas Volga. As as great a rookie as we've seen since Mark Marquez, just to shame his teammate, I might actually be even better. Mm. And that, mm. is, that is unfair and completely unfair for Jonas Volga because... He has silenced every critic that he has ever had in his MotoGP career, from being too big to be in Moto3, to being too too inconsistent to be in Moto2. Look at him now. This is absolutely outstanding from Volga. I, I, I can't say a bad word about his season, really. Um, seventh place um, overall for a rookie of 71 points, and he's ahead of... 
Petrucci, Lorenzo, Crutchlow, Bautista, established top-tier runners of the past, present, and maybe future as well. So for Volga to be this good, incredible stuff. Nine out of ten from me. Absolutely. We were agreed on that. Nine out of ten. And his, and his season has gradually, as it's gone on, got better and better and better, as you would expect from a rookie. Um, he's gradually, with every passing weekend, just finding himself a little bit more in MotoGP. And, and like I say, he was, he's the only man in eight years to have remotely challenged Mark Marquez around the Saxon ring, um, which is incredible. Um, started the season... And he wasn't, he wasn't on a Honda either. No, no, he was on a, he was on a year-old Yamaha um, in doing so. Tenth in the opening round in Qatar, um, where his teammate stole the show, but Folger was the one to see the finish. Um, sixth in Argentina, although that was a race of attrition where the Hondas crashed out and um, Dovizioso and Espargaro crashed out. So he finished sixth by virtue of staying on the bike, which he's been good at this season, which again was criticism of him in the past that he would so often put himself in a good position and then fall off. He hasn't done that anymore this year. Um, the only race where he fell off was in uh, in Assen. Um, he then went eighth in Jerez, seventh at Le Mans. Um, the poor weekend by comparison at Mugello, but then sixth with the fastest lap in Barcelona and second with the fastest lap at the Saxon ring. This guy is just getting better and better and better. And as we mentioned earlier on, uh, Scott Redding's season and how the line just continues to go downwards. Folgers just continues to go up. Um, and it's, yeah. it's going to be interesting to see what more he can do uh, in the remainder of this season. Bruno's next up, a race that Folger has won around before in the lower classes. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, so it'll be interesting to see what Folger can do uh, next time out because that Tech 3 shows no signs of getting... That Tech 3 Yamaha shows no signs of getting any slower um, as this season goes on. Um the fact that Folger gets a nine gives you an idea of uh, where around what sort of ballpark Joan Zarco's score is going to be in. Um, he's ahead of him in sixth in the championship, and I've given him a nine point five. And the only reason he's not got a ten is because he fell off from the lead in Qatar. Win there, and he's got a ten hands down. Uh, I hate when you steal my thunder because that's exactly <laughs> yeah. what I was about to say. I, I, like, I, I'll, I'm, not, I'm not going to beat around the bush. It's a 9.5 from me as well. And he would have absolutely gotten a perfect score if he had won that race in Qatar because he had he's, no been, right to win. Yeah, he's, he's been the best rookie since Marc Marquez. And that's incredible praise because like, I'm, I'm not even considering Assen because that was a tactical call. I, I understand the, why he did it because he wasn't going to win that race otherwise. And if it rained harder, he would have won the Grand Prix um, without question. Yeah, and so if he like, hadn't that, changed, he'd have been top four. Top four. And he, he again, he was riding from the with the, from pole with he's got a pole position, a, a, a second place. He's had He's had five top five finishes this season. He would have had a sixth if it wasn't for the fact that he got he was the wrong side of the gamble in in Assen. Um, for me, as good a rookie as we've seen since Mar- Marquez, and Marquez had a better starting bike than what Zarco's got. I mean, he has spearheaded this team, and he's still got you know. There's more to come from Zarco. We had question marks about him staying for another year. We thought, is he going to be lost in the shuffle? in MotoGP, given how stacked it was and how there were legitimate question marks into his title defense season last year, where he let Thomas Saluti and Frankie Morbidelli close in a little bit too much. Sam Lowe's had his moments in there. It was a competitive Moto2 field, and Zarco wasn't the guy he was in 2015 that time, but he's come in here and he's destroyed people. He's been fearless. He has had outstanding performances top to bottom. He the second place at Le Mans in front of 100,000 rabid Frenchman chanting his name must have been 
orgasmic for Johan coming off that bike, coming in second place that time round. And it was a performance worthy of the ride that he had where he was able to keep up with the factory Yamahas and two of the best riders on the planet through 95% of that race. Um, I can't say any. I can't say any more in praise. I don't think I've got another nine point five on my sheet, which I think I think Zarco's been my rider of the year so so far. Which is, again, as a rookie, incredible. Nine point five out of ten. I can't say any more in praise than that. It's a, it's a darn shame that he didn't win in Qatar because he'd have gotten a perfect score from me otherwise. Because that was such a shame. But it also showed the world just how good a rider he actually is like jesus what a performance Absolutely. he's had this i mean i've got, I've got one more 9.5 um you probably won't tell you who he is but you could probably guess um a little bit later okay. on um but, mm-hmm. but no on zarko he's yeah he's been like from the moment he came into MotoGP, everyone straight away knew what they were dealing with he took the lead at the first corner of his first race um he practically elbowed valentino rossi off the road in his third race um, in, in the Circuit of the Americas, um, if, you, if you can go wheel-to-wheel Valentino Rossi and show no weakness, uh, Valentino Rossi will very much take notice. Ask Mark Marquez yes. uh, for more information. Um, mm. Sarko did the same at Aston, of course, where he went elbow-to-elbow with Valentino Rossi, although that was probably much more of a, just a racing incident where the two didn't see each other on that occasion. Um, yeah. But even Zarko has not had one bad weekend, to my mind, because even on the weekends where he's had bad results... You can. There have still been good moments, like he, his DNF in Qatar. If you just look at the result, you'd think bad result, but he set the fastest lap and led the race on debut. Um, yeah. So that's still he still comes out of that with immense credit. Everyone out of that Qatar weekend was talking about Joan Zarco, even though yeah. Maverick Vinales won the Grand Prix. He then followed it up with a couple of fifths and then a fourth in uh, Spain when he was the top Yamaha by a mile. Second on his home Grand Prix, as you mentioned, Dre. Seventh then at Mugello where he qualified sort of towards the back end of the top 10, so 7th was about as good as you could expect. 5th in Barcelona, top independent, top Yamaha again. Then 14th from the pole, as we mentioned in Assen, when he basically made a strategical error late on, trying to chase a victory. And even when he was only 9th in uh, the Saxon ring, that was from 19th on the grid, uh, which was a sensational performance. To come from that far down on the grid to finish 9th um, was sensational. And yeah, I totally agreed. Had he won in Qatar, he would have a 10, but I've settled on a 95 for him, he is our rider of the season so far uh, at this stage. Um, Danny Pedrosa, um, next up, fifth in the championship. And uh, I said right at the very top of the show, we're talking about four championship contenders, which Danny Pedrosa may take issue with uh, because mm. he's 26 points off the lead. Um, Danny Pedrosa has had a win uh, at Hereth, where he pretty much dominated that whole weekend. And then four other third places. But his season has been very, very up and down, Dre. It's that inconsistency that stops me from giving him a nine. I'm going to give Pedrosa an 8.5 on this occasion because this is still easily the best Pedrosa has looked in, I'd say, a good three years. Um, he's he's The thing is, he's had bad days, but this is still, for him, more consistent than he's been in previous years where he's been plagued by injury and bad runs of form. Um, like... Haref proved that Pedrosa can still ride as well as anyone on the planet on his occasion, and that was one of the very few times he genuinely outclassed Mark Marquez on the day. And that's what Pedrosa needs to do to win this championship, and I don't think he's going to do that over the course of the season. And weekends like Argentina, where he made a silly mistake, and then Bajello, where he made a very uncharacteristic silly mistake to take himself and Cal Crutchell out of that Grand Prix, Assen again, very poor for Pedrosa's standards. But 
on the other side of that coin, the Haref win was fantastic. He rode well in Catalonia to finish in third. He led the first half of that race. Um, and he's had good days as well as bad. I mean, maybe a little disappointed that Saxon Ring to be outclassed by Volga how he was. So it's it's been up and down, but the ups, I think, still outweigh the downs. And I think this is still a better than usual season for Pedrosa. And a year like where he's had to, you know, he's had to fight to prove his worth on the grid still. And I think he has done that. He's, I mean, he, he is still only 26 off the top. He still has an outside chance of the championship, but he needs more days like Haref in order to make that happen. So I think for me, just about a half step behind the big four so far this season. So for me, I think an 8.5. Yeah, I've been I've been rather harsh on him. I think I've given him a 7.5. Um, oh, wow. This season so far for, for Danny Pedro. I, I was trying to look further down the list and look at the other scores again. I gave Bautista an 8. Um, and I think I can't value Pedroza's season better than Bautista's. Um, so, wow. so, I, so I've given him a 7.5. He's, as I say, I've, I've concentrated probably more on his downs than his ups, to be fair, to give him that score. Sure. Um, but uh, but yeah, looking at Argentina, where, I mean, to be fair, he fell off, but then, then again, so did his teammate that day. Um, Magello was, was bizarre because he almost went back to the Danny of his first year where he was, I mean, all right, he was down the field anyway, but he then crashed into Crutzel on the final lap, which was very un-Danny-like um, that, that day. Assen, again, I'm focusing on his downs here, but Assen was, the, again, back to the old Pedroso, just can't ride in the wet. Um, finished down in 13th that day, last rider on the lead lap. Um, but yeah, he has had podiums elsewhere, and he is still a championship contender in terms of being close enough. He's, in, he's within range. He's 26 off the lead. Um, so win at Bruno next time out, and he's right in the frame again. Um, so perhaps I've been half a point harsh. Um, but I've gone with a 7.5 for Pedroza, which gives him an 8 overall um, between us. Um, on to the top four, then, and the four who most questionably are championship contenders, starting with Valentino Rossi, um, who's the fourth of them uh, at the moment. Uh, and I've given him an 8 for his season so far. Um, he's been consistent, Dre, um, but just the one win, which doesn't sound like an awful lot. But given that the wins have been spread around so far, perhaps that's not as bad. Uh, as it sounds, led the championship after the third race of the season in America. And given the way his preseason panned out and the testing disasters that he had, where he was so pessimistic coming to this season, um, whether we think Valentino Rossi's had a good season or not, if you'd have offered him this championship position at this stage, he would have probably taken it, wouldn't he? Probably. Ten, um... ten points off the lead. It's been a blessing for Valentina that there's not been one out. There's not been one particularly outstanding rider so far this season in that big four that are capable of winning the title. Um, the problem I want to hi- I want to highlight with Valentina Rossi here is that he's had one podium in the last six rounds. Granted, it was the win at Assen. He very nearly didn't have that win because Petrucci gave him a gave him a, a real surprise. I think. To give him that sort of run, he started the season great. I mean, he he had a great start, especially given his preseason struggles, which again makes me think how much of this is Valentino Rossi playing mind games. Because again, it's like how much do you want to read into those preseason problems if he had three podiums to start of the year, which nobody else had. Um, but he's been up and down, and mostly down since the Circuit of the Americas, and. It's it's a head-scratcher because, again, in the context of the championship, Rossi's been far from terrible. But the bulk of his points have come from the start of the season. Nearly half of them, as a matter of fact, have come from the first three rounds. And I'm not falling into the Rossi paradox again where it's like, oh, you know, Rossi's a legend. He's this, he's that. He's, he's, he's the greatest rider of all time. You know, we're just happy to see him be here. But 
Rossi is also desperate for title number 10. And on current form, he's going to lose out if this continues. The blessing for Rossi is that Maverick Vinales has been equally stagnant at times in in the last few rounds as well. So I'm going to give Rossi an 8 out of 10. I think... For his level of expectation, and I think, like, this is about where he should be, I think, right now, Um, in terms of rider ability, in terms of, you know, expectations, I think Rossi, I don't think Rossi should be this far down. I think Rossi should be leading this championship, quite frankly, but he hasn't got the upside to win races like he used to. And he's not really had the consistency to, you know, be up there with Marquez and Vinales so far this season. But because of those inconsistencies, he's also only 10 points off the top. So I can't be too harsh on him either. But I Mm. think Pedrosa's season, given his level of expectations, the distant fourth guy in the Alien Four... I think is a, is I think is more valuable to me than Rossi, who as we forget has been a free time runner up the last three years. Mm, yeah, and um, the point you made, quite rightly made is that Valentino Rossi's season has kind of stagnated at the same time as Maverick Vinales's has, um, mm. which which does pose, I guess, an obvious question in that is the stagnation in Rossi and Vinales's season down to how relatively poor the Yamaha is on low grip circuits rather than the inadequacies of the riders themselves maybe it, it could very well be that i mean they've had and could that two... ultimately cost yamaha this world championship could do i mean they've had two wins in the last six rounds which is below par for what yamaha is um again like i said other inconsistencies has kind of bailed them out on this front but like and it's for them it's been lucky that marquez has had a couple of subpar days to basically counteract the fact that he has become the most consistent of the alien four that's up there right now was we're going to get to maverick in about 10 minutes time or so and yeah you're right i think it could cost him dearly because maverick's had a brilliant start but he's had 74 points in the last seven rounds that averages out to about a sixth place and for a guy that's had the lightning start that he had i expected a bit better from him even though he's won more races than anybody else this season and i think rossi is going to face that struggle even more because he does not have the ultimate pace to win anymore he just doesn't i mean like the best chance he had for a title was 2015 and he won four times in a season where lorenzo won seven and that's the problem he's not got that ultimate pace anymore to beat marquez in vinales he's he's going to win this title on consistency and yeah, he's not been the way i see it i mean the valentino Rossi, i think does have the ultimate pace to win but only if the whole weekend goes well um if he's on his back foot from free practice where he's struggling in free practice doesn't have a setup as he was in those first early rounds he's always having to come from behind and by that point you know you can't give marquez and vinales a row or two on the grid and then try no, and chase don't. them down later on. Um, the, I mean, the top four in this championship, and we'll, we'll cover this as we go on, all four of them can quite easily say, I would be leading the championship if this hadn't happened. Um, and Valentino Rossi would obviously point to Le Mans, um, where he led onto the final lap, got almost pressured into an error by Vinales, and then fell off trying to rectify the damage and try and get himself back into the lead again. Those were 20 points that would put Valentino Rossi into the lead by 10 right now. But as I say, all of the three ahead of him will also be able to tell a kind of high luck story from that first half of the season. And also, the poor results that he's had since then. Fourth in fourth at Mugello, you could argue he was riding injured. 
um, given so. given what happened going into that. Eighth in Catalonia is poor by anyone's standards, but could almost be argued as a save given where Yamaha were that weekend. He outpaced Maverick that weekend. Um, that's kind of where Yamaha were. But sort of the, the, the Tech 3s were 5th and 6th. Yeah, the Tech 3s were 5th and 6th. But the 2017 Yamaha, as we mentioned, just seems hapless on low-grip circuits. And um, But the thing is, Rossi's gone back to all the chassis. Yeah, he's, he's gone back and... <laughs> They, they seem to have their old woes again at the Saxon Ring where the bike just wouldn't work in the wet again on a low grip surface and both Yamaha's qualified down the grid fourth and fifth for them that day again was considered a save and, I, and again I kind of think we'd have to look at this championship and almost reevaluate and look at fourths, fifths and sixths aren't the dreadful results perhaps we thought they were two or three years ago like Marquez's sixth in Mugello probably looks like a decent result now um, given yeah. given the way that weekend panned out, the Honda was probably the third best bike that day, and he rescued mm-hmm. some points out of it. And and that might be important for this championship for all these top four guys. And Davizioso has been the best at it, best at it so far this season. Of when the bike hasn't been, when the Yamaha or the Honda has been the best bike to be, Davizioso on the Ducati still managed to bank a good solid chunk of points. Um, and and that's what I think these guys are going to have to do when their bike isn't the one to be on. They're still got to try and make sure that they finish top six at worst. Um, and keep themselves in play. Rossi's just about done that, and as I say, he's he's only had the one non-score um, compared to the two of Marquez and the two of Vinales um, so far this season, and Davizioso's only had one so far, which is why I agree with you. I've given Rossi an eight. He's keeping himself in contention, um, mm-hmm. and, and I don't think we're at a championship anymore where someone's going to have to win five or six to win a championship. I think, I think Rossi could quite easily win three maybe four and still maybe get this done if he can seems about right and if he can still get a few podiums to match those because i don't think we're looking at 300 points to win a championship now we're halfway through and marquez leads it on 129 um 260 270 is probably where we're looking at so if rossi can rossi's looking at 150 points from the last nine races so i think it's i mean these four i think are going to be together for the rest of the season because this season's been so mixed up and it's going to be so exciting to see how it plays out um, mm-hmm. But Rossi, I think Rossi and Davizioso are probably the two underdogs out of the four. Um, and Marquez and Vinales are the favourites. We've given Rossi an eight overall. Um, Davizioso then, who led the championship heading into um, the last race in Germany, lost the championship lead there. Um, if anybody, Dre, and for, for me he does, if anybody challenges Zarco for Rider of the Year, surely it has to be Andrea Davizioso. Certainly, in the ter- in terms of biggest surprise, yes, um, because for all the guys that are in the top six, Dovizioso has been the one that has made the biggest step up to be considered a true elite rider now. And like Dovi was cap was, was captain best of the rest until this season. He he had the habit of getting the best out of a bike that wasn't good enough to challenge for a title. This year's bike is good enough to challenge for a title, and Dovizioso has proven that. Um, I'm split between him and Zarco for Rider of the Year. I think I'm going to go 9 with Dovi as opposed to a 9.5. And the reason why I'm going to go with a 9 over 9.5 is because I think he still leaves the door just a little bit too wide open on Ducati's slower days. Um, it looks like Ducati really has something here on low grip circuits, given their uh, given their Mugello and Catalonia wins. Um, and he, he was obviously outstanding in those two results. That was, again, the first time Dovi's ever won back-to-back races in his career. This, like, that was really, really great on, on, on his part, for sure. Um, 
again, I think, again, the sixth at Kota, the eighth in Germany, not bad. But again, other guys were better. And if we're going to evaluate Dovi in the context of a title contender, he's going to need a little bit more, I reckon, because... Like Ducati, like Ducati will, they'll have Austria for sure. They'll have a couple of wet rounds probably between now and the end of the year where they can open the can. But on raw pace, I still think Dovi is a, he's half a step behind the top two. I think are worthy of their spots as first and second in the championship so far this year. So I'm going to say nine only because I've always known Dovi had potential to be this good. It's just a matter of he needs just a little bit more to really put him in that echelon with Marquez and Vinales, but an outstanding job so far this season by any man. Like, like I'm, I'm like it sounds like I'm giving him a disappointing nine, but in the context of this season and, and just how great four or five guys have been, like the fact that Dovi is in that conversation for for a title fight, we would never have guessed this two years ago, which no. says a lot about how far Dovi has come. I He's wouldn't have guessed it in March. I just would not have guessed. I mean, I, yeah, I've given him a 9.5 to so and the reason I've gone so high is I think I could only pick up one weekend, possibly two, where he could have done any more than he did. Um, I think Qatar, he, he always tends to go in Qatar and fight for the win. He split the Amahars there. Argentina was taken out, wasn't his fault. Um, Alicia Spargo uh, torpedoed him out of that race. Kota, sixth, top Ducati by a distance. Jerez is one of the two rounds where I think he could have done more because, of course, Lorenzo was up ahead of him and on the podium. Um, yeah. Although Davizioso was always hated Jerez, but he was fifth and two spots behind. Um, Le Mans, best of a bad job, fourth. Two wins that saw a, a level of performance from Davizioso that I personally didn't think he had, um, where he no. won those both those races and won them well. Um Aston is the only other race where I think Dobby could have done more because, of course, Ducati did beat him. Uh, Daniel Petrucci yes. was second. Um, although, Davizioso, with five laps to go, looked like he was going to win that one too um, when he when he chased them all down at two but seconds a lap. He, he himself turned it down a couple yeah. of times by saying he was thinking of the championship. Yeah, he sort of he buttoned it off a bit and we saw them, we then saw Rossi and Petrucci break away again. Um, and Saxon Ring, I guess, another one where he perhaps could have done a little bit more because, of course, Bautista was up ahead of him. But other than that, there hasn't really been another Ducati rider to trouble Davizioso. And again, I look at so many race weekends and think he's done. I don't think any he could have done any more than that. And he's probably done better than I ever thought he would have done on that given weekend. Um, and he is the he is the big surprise in that four way championship fight, which is why I've given him that nine point five, which gives him a nine point two five as an average of the two of us. Um, two to go, and the two that lead the championship, Maverick Vinales, next up, who. Um, Two rounds in, given preseason testing and two races, was well on course for a 10. Um, but his season has kind of fallen away a little bit since then, which has seen him give up what looked a very, very comfortable championship lead at around Mugello time um, to what is now looking like a real dogfight for Maverick Vinales to win this championship. Dre. I've given him an 8.5, um, given that since those first two races, he's had a win, a second, and then outside of that, he's had two DNFs, a fourth, a sixth, and a tenth. Um, which don't really sound like championship form um, by any measure. Um, but Saxon, mm. I think Saxon Ring was a big race for him, wasn't it? In that he almost seemed to rediscover his, his form again there, where he qualified badly, came through to fourth and beat Valentino for the first time in two or three races. Um, but the way his season started, Vinales looked like he was going to have this championship wrapped up by now, and he by no means has that wrapped up at all. He's five points off the lead. <laughs> The bad days have been very yes. bad for Maverick Vinales, and that's 
and that's why I agree with you. I'm going to say 8.5 on Vinales' score. Like the upside has been fantastic. Like, like my gosh, if he's on it, he's unbeatable. Um, he's got an extra level of pace on that Yamaha where if the Yamaha is comfortable, he will win, um, most likely. I mean, again, he, he, not quite there at Magello, but uh, Bobby was just so good in that in that round. I don't think anybody could have beaten him on that day. But again, he, he came out of the shots like he came out of the drops like a rocket those first two rounds. Very nearly on, on raw pace, out-qualified Marquez at Cota, which is the closest anybody's mm-hmm. come since, since his inception on the calendar, where I thought, Wow, this man's pace is insane, but then made a silly mistake and crashed again. Like Assen was not looking great out there and then made another silly mistake and crashed again. Um, so the 10th in Catalonia was again a poor result. He, he, he got he made the best out of a bad deal at, 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 at Qatar. So that's a sorry, um, but at her ref, where we finished in sixth, he's not been bad. But he's not been great either. And but the thing is, the greats have been great. The, the, the bad days have been really bad days. Where we have to sat down and questioned Maverick Vinales's mental fortitude going into some of these races because he was look, evidently looking frustrated as the season had gone on. And yeah, like I expected a little bit more from Maverick in, in the last few rounds of the season. Again, he's not won in four races now. And he's he, this is a guy that won three of the first five and looked pretty comfortable at the top throughout the season. But you've he's got to say, in those, since those, those four races he hasn't won, he hasn't really looked like winning them. Um, I know he's second in in Mugello, but Davizioso had had him had his measure on that day. Um, and yes, yeah, since then, tenth in Catalonia, where he was tenth in large part due to dropouts ahead of him. Um, crashed in in Aston trying to make time up, and as I say, I think that fourth in Saxering is a lot better a result than it, a lot, a lot better ride, should I say, than it looks on the yes. result sheet. Uh, given that he had to come from eleventh on the grid, and you know he that he, was as good as he was going to get that yeah, day. He was he was patient that day rather than uh, impatient, which caused him to crash in Aston. Um, and yeah, David, uh, Vinales two rounds in looked like he was going to win this championship by the summer um, because he was so much better than anybody else, um, mm-hmm. and, he, and he's allowed the others back in. Um, and yeah, he's he's not been able to limit the damage when he's on when he's had his bad days. Kota, for instance, probably would have finished second there had he just you know kept his head and uh, rather than lost it after a bad start. Um, and I don't think he's necessarily asked the question, answered the questions that were asked of him at the start of the season. He's still not oh, answered. He's still not answered the questions about whether he can ride in the wet. Um, take Argentina where he qualified badly alright he still won the race but he was out qualified by Rossi in the wet um, and but the then, race was dry but the race, doesn't was, matter. the race was dry so he got away with it and won um, wasn't very good in the wet at Assen qualified badly he was out qualified by Sam Lowe's that day qualified Oof. badly at the Saxa ring as well in the wet conditions so I still think that's a big weakness for him um, and whilst Davizioso will be praying for wet races Vinales will be praying we don't get any because I think he will lose points on those races. Um, so he'll be praying for good weather in the second half of the season. And I think the question that Bex posed, which we almost laughed at at the time a few shows back, where she said, oh, I'm still not so sure whether Maverick Vinales can handle the pressure of a close championship fight. And I still don't think he's answered that one either. Um, because he he crashed. Mm. He tr- crashed trying to make the ground up at Assen, where question, a big question was asked of him there at Assen. Can he chase his way back through the field from a pole qualifying when his teammate is on the front row of the grid and leading the race? And he crashed trying to make his way through the field. Now, Saxering, as I say, was much more of a convincing answer to that. But I still do wonder if we get into a close battle for the championship in the final few races, will Maverick crack? 
and I'm still not too certain if I know the answer to that. Um, only Maverick himself can answer that question uh, in the remaining rounds of the season because he's probably going to be there uh, in the final few rounds of the season. Um, we will have to wait and see. Um, we know the answer as far as Mark Marquez is concerned. Can he handle the pressure? Um, because I think he certainly can. He has in the past. He's won his championship before in 2013 in a final round decider. Um, and after Mugello, where he finished sixth, and he was beaten by Bautista, and he was 37 points off the championship lead, um, Mar Marquez, by all accounts, was told by his team that we will lead this championship going to the summer break. And Mark Marquez did not believe them. Um, as it turns out, Dre, his team were correct. Um, and given that Mark Marquez has probably not been on the same level as he was last season, where he barely put a foot wrong, it's amazing to think he's still leading this championship halfway through. It's amazing. He, 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 went, he went from 37 down to five up by the break. Um, four races. In four rounds. He's, he, he, uh, twice he's dug himself out of a hole to put himself where he, is, where he is right now. And it just goes to show you just what a rider Mar Marquez has become where, like, the, the rating's going to be a weird one for me because, like, Marquez is leading a championship. He probably didn't deserve to lead three or four rounds ago. And... It shows to show you that, again, he has now become the complete package. And it's something that we didn't think was possible two years ago where he dealt with adversity for the first time in his MotoGP career. But he overcame it the following year and won the championship. And he's like he's the guy that has probably made... like It's, it's weird because Marquez would be 30 or 40 points clear if he hadn't made two critical errors. And that was one in Argentina... Which is the which is a gimme Mark Marquez round half the time, he where was, he, he just, was leading by a mile. He was leading by a mile and he crashed, which was just no Marquez. What are you doing? And then Le Mans was a race where okay maybe he rode a little bit too hard, maybe it was an uncharacteristic in terms of tire choice to crash from from a podium position. If he had finished those rounds, he'd probably be 30 to 40 points clear right now. And we'd be looking at Marquez like, well, what a season he's having where he's not finished lower than the top six, stamped out the mistakes. He isn't crashing in races anymore. And we're like, well, you're starting to put Marquez in some real historic territory here. Instead, it's been great for Marquez, but it could have been incredible for Marquez. So... I don't know how much of a, of, of a downside you can take off him ratings-wise for that because ultimately mm. he's dug mm. himself out of two very big holes to put him where he is right now after Argentina where Maverick, I think, was 27 points in front after that one and after Magellare was 37 points behind and he's still leading the championship. But he can still do things on a motorcycle that nobody else can do. And he's now becoming the guy where... Even if he's having a bad day, the worst day he's had on track was a six foot Mugello. Like the, everybody else beneath him has had worse days than that. And that says it all because everybody's had at least one race where they've either been unlucky or they've, or they've just had bad days scoring wise. Mm. Um, so for me, I'm going to say nine out of 10 for Marquez. He's still been outstanding. He's been his usual Marquez self. It's just going to be a small case of what could have been for Marquez so far this season but still to dig himself out of the holes he does like only Mark Marquez can do that and that is something that is valuable in the context of this field yeah I've given him a nine as well uh, for, for his season so far I mean he's he has in the same way he did last season on his bad days he has squeezed every last drop out of that Honda fourth in Qatar 
was as good as he could have expected given the Honda and the way it does, just doesn't seem to work around a circuit such as that. Um, Texas, he wins because of course he does. Um, the, the only race that he's not been the Honda benchmark has been Jerez, where Danny won. Other than that, Mark Marquez remains the benchmark on that bike and remains the only rider who can make that bike work um, on any given day, really. You know, there, are, there are so many circuits where we look at the Hondas and we struggle to find them. We have to look way out the top 10 to find them. Yet Mark Marquez, like take Mugello, for instance. Crutchlow and Pedroza crashed on the final lap fighting for 12th. And Mark Marquez was up in sixth. Um, and yeah, you know, he was on a completely different level to any other rider on that day on that bike. Um, on, a, on, a, on a day in history where that Honda just was not working. Um, and he yep. still managed to get 10 points out of it, which, as I say, this year, with so many strong riders and strong bikes, sixth is a good result when your bike doesn't work. Um, so he, he did a great job there. And he's been second, third, first since then. That third at, at, at Assen was quite a result as well, given that it was some supreme bravery that he displayed on that final lap to beat Carl Crutchlow to third. Um, which, you know, many, many championship contenders would not have taken that risk. Um, but Mark Marquez took that risk and was rewarded with a podium for it. And Mark Marquez is the, the one rider out of that four at the moment where I, I don't see an obvious weakness. I don't see a convincing case where that this is why he can't win the championship. Rossi, you can make the case he can't win this championship because he doesn't have that outright pace to win races on his own on any day. Mark Marquez does. Um, Vinales, yeah. we're not quite sure whether you can handle the heat and the pressure of a title fight. We know Mark Marquez can. Uh, and Andrade Vizioso, he's still, uh, for what all he's, he's never, been here, he's never been here before. And he's only really had, he's only had three podiums out of nine. Um, all right, they've been two, two of them have been wins. But Mark Marquez, if, you know, as long as he has a, a solid enough day, he's going to be in and around the podium fight. And, you know, Mark Marquez has no weakness. He's not bad in the wet. Um, whereas Ma Maverick Vinales, by comparison, is. Um, and w another thing I think might well pay Maverick Vin uh, Mark Marquez later in the season is his qualifying. When do you ever see Mark Marquez qualify badly um, in any race? He always puts himself Never. on the front two rows and in position to win a Grand Prix, whereas the Yamahas he, he, so often have yeah. qualified poorly, and Davizioso doesn't always qualify up there either. That may be such a crucial tool for Mark Marquez later in this season, is that he always He's, qualifies yeah. up the front. He's the fastest rider I've ever seen in MotoGP. He is just an unbelievable qualifier. He's like, like if, if I had to put money on one guy to get me a pole position to save my life, I would choose Mark Marquez. He's already got 40 of them in MotoGP in 81 starts. That's nearly a 50% pole position rate since his inception in the World Championship. That's 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 unheard of. Um, that's That's absolutely incredible. He's got... I think only Jorge Lorenzo and Valentino Rossi in the field have got, I've had more MotoGP pole positions than him, and this is only his fifth season in the top flight. Um, like Again, you're absolutely right. The Saxon ring was walking proof of that, where every other major title rival in changeable conditions did not have the bravery or the pace to get up there. I mean, I think it was 8th, 9th, 10th, and 11th for his other four title rivals that day. And Marquez was on pole position, and that was the difference between him winning the Saxon ring again and everybody else who had to fight to get to decent results in the end. And you're absolutely right, that is going to be a, a critical weapon for Marquez, is that he has exceptional pace, and he, can, and he, will, he will give himself the least amount of work to do on the grid, most likely. Where I mean, you don't see Mark Marquez qualify outside of the top four very often, period. And if, it's, if not, it's going to be on pole position, because... He's just so good at that. He's, that, is, that is his ultimately his, his maybe his strongest asset that 
you know, this has been his worst rate for pole position so far this season, three out of nine, but still, he's such a good qualifier, and that is going to be vital for him. Mm, it is going to be vital. Um, we've now come to the end of our of our rider by rider round, which um, I guess we'll have you wondering, well, what does the overall table look like of our of our ratings for the season? Working away from mm. the bottom then, Rins is bottom by virtue of the fact that he's not got a rating, but we'll, we'll let him off for that because he's, he's been injured half the season. Our pound-for-pound worst rider so far this season, I'm afraid, is Andrea Iannone. Um, as averages on a three and a half. Next up comes Barbara uh, in, in 21st. Then comes Rabat, uh, 4.75 for him, which has him 20th so far. Um, in a tie for 18th, we have Scott Redding and Sam Lowe's, um, the Brits down towards the back. Um, we have a tie for 16th of Bradley Smith and Jorge Lorenzo. Um, they both average out at a six. Um, we have a tie for 14th between Carol Abraham and Cal Crutchlow. Um, we have 13th, Paul Espargaro, um, so he's just about mid-table. Um, we have a tie for 11th of Jack Miller and who's the other rider? Uh, Loris Baz, uh, who are tied for 11th. Um, into the top 10, we have a tie for 9th between Alvaro Bautista and Alicia Espargaro. Um, we have a tie for 7th between Danny Pedrosa and Valentino Rossi. Um, so they're 7th equal. Uh, into the top six, we have a tie for fifth between Maverick Vinales and Danilo Petrucci. Uh, we have a tie for third between Mark Marquez and Jonas Folger. Andrea De Vizioso is on his own in second, and our rider of the year so far is Joan Zarco. Um, Seems about right. Sounds about right. I think that's about right to me. Zarco is our rider of the year um, so far. Um, the championship resumes uh, in two weeks at Bruno. Um, so as we're at the halfway stage, Dre, um, given that you're the bookie amongst us. Mm. Uh, if you had to pin your, pin your hard-earned money on uh, one title contender, and of course you won't be able to do it at William Hill because there are regulations here, um, who yes. would you be putting it on? Let me have a quick look at the prices while I'm actually here, so I, I, I can give I can give my proper analytical research on this. Um, okay, Mark Marquez is even money now. I probably would, if somebody put a gun to my head right now, probably would say Mark Marquez. But even money doesn't scream great value. Maverick Vinales at five to two is very nice right now. I would say, um, given again he has the upside to win races on that Yamaha, which nobody else really has got right now, and that is a unique aspect of this title fight. Um, but for me, I think I think all roads lead to this more mature Mar- Marquez that will definitely pick his chances to win these Grand Prix. He's not making the mistakes he normally does. Um, I think he's going to regret Argentina in the long run, but I think overall, I mean, his run of form right now is the best in the field. And if he can just, if he can survive these next two or three, four, four dodgy rounds where Honda seem to be on the back foot, like Bruno, um, Austria, Silverstone might he might be in the mix again over there because again because he was probably on for second if he didn't make the mistake, yeah. and then Misano, which is another strong Yamaha circuit, and he can get if he can get to Aragon in range, he's got some good tracks afterwards with Mategi, with Philip Harlan, which he's gone very strong at before Sepang, and then Valencia at the end. So I think Mark Marquez is the way to go on this one. Um, but it's going to be tight. Yeah, yeah we, we certainly hope it's tight. I mean, I, I would just edge towards Marquez too, but I, I, I hope against hope that we can, we, we're talking in 
uh, three months' time, when we make it to those three flyaways in October and then Valencia, and we've still got a close four-way championship fight, it would be it would be so good for the sport uh, if we can have Agreed. it. Um, many in the sport, and many at Dawn in particular, will be praying, as long as Valentino's in it, they'll be happy, um, because that will inevitably draw an incredible audience to Valencia. Um, but if we have two or more riders going to the final round with a, with a shot at this, it would be such a fitting end to what has so far been a fantastic season. Ten different podium finishers, five different winners, and four title contenders. I mean, I said at the top of the show, Dre, we didn't think 2016 could be topped with its nine different winners and its unpredictability, but I think so far 2017 has ever been every bit as good. It's been the best title fight I've ever seen in MotoGP. I, I, it's unprecedented to have four guys in the mix like this. I think three it's been... Three different manufacturers. Three different manufacturers. Um... Four guys with a river, river, really good chance of winning the title. You know, Pedrosa just outside that. Zarco's been an incredible rookie. But again, the fact it is just so close, and we just the ties of Michelin making it so unpredictable, we just have no idea right now who's going to win this championship at all. Like, when you put all that together, it just says it's been an incredible season so far, and it's only set to get even more dramatic as time goes on. Mm, and we used to, a couple of years ago, we used to go to Grand Prix weekends almost already before we started, knowing who was going to win it, or certainly knowing which team or two were going to contend for it. But we have no idea now in MotoGP. Now, we still expect certain names, like obviously we all expected Marquez at the Saxon Ring, but none of us picked Folger before the weekend there's always every weekend now there seems to be one name who comes from left field and produces a result that shocks us Petrucci at Assen um, we, we saw um, Davizioso arguably as that name uh, at Mugello and indeed in Barcelona Zarco at Le Mans came from nowhere Lorenzo was the shock at Jerez uh, who came from nowhere um, we saw Bautista come from nowhere in Argentina Aspargaro did it at the opening round in Qatar every weekend there seems to be a shock somewhere and which just keeps yeah. us on our toes and keeps us keeps us guessing, um, which is such a good position for MotoGP to be in. And like I say, we just hope this season has the fitting finale um, that it deserves. It returns in a couple of weeks um, at Bruno. Before then, though, this weekend, British Superbikes returns um, at Brands Hatch on the Grand Prix circuit. And next week's show, episode 23, will review um, the next round of the British Superbike Championship at Brands Hatch on the GP circuit um, as the race to secure a showdown spot continues um between now and then though episode 96 uh, of the motorsport 101 podcast returns next week where motorsport 101 um throws any kind of set list and script right out the window dre yeah um i, I thought i challenged king to go set list for next week's episode i mean we'll, we'll, we'll inevitably talk about uh, yeah we're, we're gonna improvise on this one because we really haven't got much we'll probably take some of your questions as well but we haven't really got a script for next episode because there is so little to talk about outside of maybe the Halo being confirmed in, in Formula 1, which has obviously split people all over the bloody shop, as it as it tends to do with when, you know, the, the, the nature so of we're safety. We're going to have Beyonce playing us in this week. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, start, start searching from now, Lewis. <laughs> um, but... Um, yeah, it's 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 going to be an interesting one. I, like, we have no idea what's going to happen. It's just going to be me, King, who knows, maybe a third person, and we're just going to be shooting the shit for two hours. So I look forward to it. It's going to be something different, and I look, I look, forward, to, I look forward to it. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, it's, it's uh, the start of an exciting month or two here on Monospot 101. <laughs> Uh, episode 96 to come next week uh, we have uh, plans in the works which we hope will lead to an exciting episode 97 more on that uh, in the oh, coming yeah. weeks and then Trust we are closing in on the century 
uh, of episode 100 and episode 101 and plans are afoot for that as well um, so keep an eye on uh, our Facebook facebook.com forward slash motorsport 101 our Twitter at motorsport underscore 101 for more information on all of that as plans are made concrete and put into action and we'll announce them as soon as they are official um, we're also on YouTube for our, re- our regular Google Hangouts uh, youtube.com forward slash motorsport 101 our website is motorsport101.net and if you want to back us financially and earn yourself early access to this and indeed to motorsport 101 uh, patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 uh, my huge thanks to andre harrison for joining me this week and my huge thanks to all of you for listening to this moto gp uh, mid-season review we will return next week with episode 96 of motorsport 101 and episode 23 of bike live as we break down brands hatch bsb we look forward to your company next week until then it's bye-bye